This is Jocko Podcast number 412 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. Things changed suddenly on January 20th, 2016. It was a Wednesday, and we had taken our four-year-old daughter, Ava, to the doctor. She'd been experiencing pain in her legs. At first, we thought these were growing pains, something every child experiences. But soon after, she started to experience severe bruising that just didn't make sense. She'd also had a series of ear infections, bad ear infections. The doctor told us that one of these infections was the worst they'd ever seen. It was pretty ugly stuff. I started to think something was really wrong. At around 2 p.m., the nurse drew blood for a test. They thought that Ava might have some sort of significant deficiency that was throwing her system out of whack, like a lack of iron. They put a rush on the samples and sent them to the lab. While waiting for the results, we had gone back home. My wife, Ashley, was making dinner when the lab called at about 6 p.m. They reported that there was something irregular in Ava's blood work and that we should expect a callback shortly. This was not the kind of thing we wanted to hear. Five minutes later, Ava's doctor called. You need to take Ava to the Stanford emergency room right now, he said. That was all he told us, but the urgency in his voice told us not to hesitate. We didn't have to be told twice. We entered the hospital through the ER and were directed to an individual room for immunocompromised children. A nurse led us to the room, and before she handed us off to other staff, she said something that took my wife and me off guard. There's one piece of advice I have for you, she said. I've seen a lot of things happen here, a lot of stories. Keep a date night for yourselves. You have to keep your relationship strong. Ashley and I just looked at each other. What the hell is that supposed to mean, I thought. For a split second, I considered telling her off, but I held back. Her words slowly began to make sense. It was like she had seen couples like us pass through these rooms for years, and she had. She knew we were in for a hell of a ride. After all, we wouldn't have been called in like this if it wasn't a big deal. Soon enough, we would figure out what this was all about. My father-in-law, Jeff, joined us in the treatment room with Ava as soon as he could. We sat there for hours until around 1 a.m. when a doctor came in. She told us that two more pathologists had looked at the blood test results and asked me if I wanted to step outside of the room to talk about their findings. We went out into the hallway to speak privately. We're fairly certain your daughter has leukemia, the doctor said. Are you sure, I asked. We're 99% sure. And that right there is an excerpt from a book called As Many Reps as Possible, written by Jason Kalipa. And Jason is an athlete a CrossFit Games champion, a businessman, an author, a podcaster, and most important, a family man, a husband, and a father, where he has stood up with to help his daughter fight a vicious enemy, and that is cancer. And he's here with us tonight to share some of his experiences and lessons learned along the way. Jason, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that's definitely, uh, that's kind of the opening of the book. And (laughs) it sets a stage for, uh, you know, explaining your whole life and what 
the, the trajectory of your life and how this whole situation with your daughter impacted you and really just a, a powerful story for sure. Um, but we'll get into that, but let's start at the beginning. Let's start at, at you know you as a kid growing up and whatnot. So you're from California, right? I'm from California, Northern California. And born in 85? 85, oh, yeah. 85, yeah. In where, San Jose? Uh-huh. Okay. So what'd your mom and dad do? My mom was a bookkeeper. My dad was an engineer. And uh, my dad came here from Iran. My mom came here from Rhode Island. From where? Rhode Island? Yeah. So, I mean, her family was originally from Italy, but yeah. She, you, you can't say my dad's from Iran and my mom's from Rhode Island. <laughs> they, but they met here in California and uh-huh. yeah, it's all good. And the, and so they they met, they got married. You got brothers and sisters? I have one sister. She's older than Older me. than you? Yeah. Did she bully you when you were a kid? Bully me? Nah, no? not so you were much. Cool. How much older? Uh, she was like three years older, so just Is, old enough where we were able to, you know, be in high school one year together. So uh-huh. that helped my parents out. Made it a little bit easier. And you're you're uh, growing up, going to school, and you're playing sports. What sports are you playing? Yeah, so growing up, um, you know, my background, because, I think it's because my dad, I was looking back on this just as a dad now, and your parents do the best they can with what they have. I, I'm confident that any parent, they want to be the best parent they can, but they lean on their experiences when they were children. So my dad came from Iran and soccer was very popular there. My mom, she didn't really grow up with traditional sports. And so I played- Well, they don't have a lot. I mean, that's way over in Rhode Island. Yeah, I mean, Rhode Island, I don't know what's going on over there. That's like a, that's very foreign place, right? Yeah, very foreign. (laughs) But, uh, you know, so for me, I I started off playing soccer and then I ended up um, meeting a group of kids around my neighborhood. I got heavily into BMX bike racing uh, when I was around eight or nine years old. And I competed in that until I was 15 and went to high school. So I competed on a bike. Did you have uh, like I started off the GT, then I had a red line, then I had one called Bad, which was like a undercover brand, like kind of. Were you sponsored? uh, Yeah, at the time I was sponsored. Yeah. How long is a BMX race? (sighs) Maybe depending on the track, a minute, two minutes. I mean, it's not long. So it's it's a hardcore sprint. Yeah, you know, looking back on it, it's like that sport actually taught me a lot because you're on the you're on a gate with like seven other guys. There's Mm -hmm. eight guys on a on a on a gate. And here I am, a young kid, and you, the way it goes, it goes novice, intermediate, expert, and then when you turn 16, you can turn pro. So I race at the expert level on a national circuit. And, you know, when you're on the gate, like, it's pretty nerve-wracking. And you got to take the jump. And whoever hits that first berm first is probably going to win. And uh, so I think it taught me a lot about mental toughness, individual sport. And then when I got to high school, I, I, I pivoted out of that sport. So you're in the gate with seven other kids. Yeah. How far away is the first berm? Maybe 100 yards, How long does it take yards? to get there? Is it like a four-second sprint yeah, it's, or something like that? it's fast. I mean, it's all out. It's 100% all out. It, it's, and there's obstacles in the way, right? So you need to learn how to traverse, you know, go over the obstacles, and you got to learn how to just crank it. You know, looking back on it now, you know, I used to, man, I wanted to win so bad. You know, I would ride rollers in my garage. Um, like, there's like these essentially rollers. You put a bike on it, and you just ride. Okay. And I would do that all the time because I just wanted to, I wanted to win. And um, it was a, it was a great sport at the time, but I ended up getting out of it. My parents didn't really support it as much, and I think it's because they saw how many injuries occurred from it. And so, you know, I got hurt quite a few times doing it, but it was a great sport when it lasted. How do you get hurt? Are you getting mangled up with other bikes? Yeah, so I got hurt um, a few times. One time, I broke my collarbone. That one really sucked. I was I was coming out the gate, going super fast, and I don't know if my crank something happened. But long story short, I went over the handlebars and. 
the helmet broke my collarbone when I when I hit my head. And then another time I was doing what they call a rhythm section. So you jump, jump, jump. But once you're in the rhythm section, it's hard to get out. And and uh, ended up, anyways, I ended up hitting my face and needing some nose surgery and stuff like that. So you did that until you're 15. So you did that until high school. That's right. And then what sports took over? Uh, football and track and field. And so first day of, of high school, I remember I met one of my buddies, Joe Koontz. He looks at me. I was a pretty big kid at the time. And he's like, hey, man, you got to come out for football. And so that's when I tried. And, you know, I, I, I learned a lot through football. I made I made some of my best friends in the world from that. I think team sports are incredibly important. And, um, yeah, that, that became my sport for the next, you know, throughout high school. I wanted to go on to play in college. And I just I didn't apply myself the right way. I was getting recruited a little bit. It just it didn't work out. And I ended up going to a junior college. Echo football questions. Go. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you gotta play. So, what position did you play? Obviously. Ah, so my team, we we did a we did some pulling guard stuff. Yeah. So I was playing guard at the time. I was two sixty. So right oh, now, I'm two fifteen. You were two sixty. I was two sixty. You know, I was thinking about it. I haven't seen under two hundred pounds on a scale since before I got into high school. Oh damn. And, and so, how tall are you? Yeah, five nine and a half. You know. <laughs> sixty. But you gotta you be fast. Two sixty. I was pretty big, yeah. So I was playing defensive end and guard. And again, I look back on my my high school, and this is something I'm thinking about just as a dad now, is like, I didn't reach my potential. I didn't. I, I didn't reach my potential. And, and maybe my journey was already written, and that's when I got into CrossFit later on, et cetera. But, you know, looking back on it, I do have some regrets about just the amount of time that I dedicated to sport versus dedicated to partying or doing other stuff. And, you know, I, I want to help my kids not make the same mistake. Were you guys lifting? Oh, yeah. So you were full on into it. Yeah, we were lifting. We were doing a lot of stuff, but we were doing some stuff that was very unconventional. I remember one year, it was right before like the big game, and one of our coaches had read some literature about stimulating the muscle right before. And so what we did is we worked up to a one, I'll never forget this. We worked up to a one rep max deadlift and then got on a bus to go to our our, our game. Just, just cold, just worked up to one rep max deadlift, got on a bus and then went. Those are the kind of things we were doing. Like, I, you know, yeah. Strength and conditioning with one coach and sixty kids is tough. Yeah. Okay. So, what? what any other sports? You said track and field. What'd you do? Yeah, I threw, I threw the shot there, and 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 that was another example of like I, I performed well. I still don't think I reached my potential. I just didn't apply myself. You know, I, I the thing about high school was is like I was at a school that, and this is my own fault, but I was at a school that would would just move you forward, right? And at the time when I compared myself to my peers, I was always even, meaning like. As long as I was going from freshman, sophomore, junior, and I was getting okay grades, like we're all even. It wasn't until we applied to colleges I realized, like, mm-hmm. hey, like life doesn't owe you anything. Like yeah. you've been you've been coasting, man. I remember one time my son said to me when he was a little kid, like, some kids can't do any pull-ups. You know what I mean? Like he was making an excuse for only being able to do whatever. Uh, oh yeah, like, fourteen pull-ups. <laughs> like, bro. What's wrong with you, you little <laughs> savage? Like, what's wrong with you? And he, you know, he looked at me like, Dad, some kids can't do any pull-ups. Right. And, you know, I'm just, hey, you cannot compare yourself to these kids that are sitting around doing nothing. You're not going to be like that, you know. But that's a common thing to do. It'd be easy to say, well, you know, hey, the kids can't even do any. I can do 10 or 12. I'm GTG. <laughs> Echo, good. good to go, baby. Good to go. <laughs> and, and so... As you're going through school, how, how are your grades? Is it the same thing with your grades? Like you're just kind of doing the bare minimum a little yeah, bit? Yeah, they're fine. You know, again, like I said, you know, the, the the moment of like when I really woke up and I was like, oh, was when I applied to colleges. So my mom, my dad, and my sister all went to a school called Santa Clara University. 
my wife or excuse me, my girlfriend at the time because we met when we were 14. Ashley. Ashley. Mm-hmm. She got accepted. So did all my best friends. They all got accepted to school and I did not get accepted. And Why and, not? Grades? Yeah. And that's when I realized like, oh boy, my mom, my dad, my sister went there and I still didn't get accepted. <laughs> like, you know, something, something's up here. So yeah, I ended up going to a junior college and um, I applied again, didn't get in. Mm-hmm. I kept going to junior college, applied again, didn't get in. And then finally when my high school transcripts were removed, I, I got accepted to Santa Clara. <laughs> so anything else you're doing in high school though? Like you said, you mentioned partying, like are yeah, you guys just, out drinking? Or are you getting crazy like that? Yeah, it was just, I mean, I was one of those popular guys playing football. Just, you know, I, I just, I was just distracted. You know, I, I didn't, I, I was just, Having a good time, mm-hmm. making a lot of friends, doing a lot of stuff, but I wasn't applying myself to my full potential in did, school or at sport. Did you have any idea of what you're going to be doing in the future? No, I didn't really think about it. It wasn't like a thought. And I think that that's an area that with my kids, I want to try and navigate them through. You know, I think as a parent, you're just trying to think like, what can I do to set them up better than the way I was mm-hmm. going? And yeah, so I was just kind of moseying along. And then all of a sudden I got to a junior college, West Valley. And I walk in for my first class and it just woke me up. You know, I wrote about this in the book, but like. Yeah, you you got a good section here in the book. You say this, uh, my first day at West Valley, let's just say the whole thing was a humbling experience. To be honest, I was a little embarrassed to be there. Not that I was above West Valley, but that I had wasted a lot of my time, talent, and energy, and I'd fallen short of my potential. The high school atmosphere that I loved was gone. High school had been about chest bumps, high fives, and having fun. There was a built-in structure, and you didn't have to think too much about it. I made the structure work for me, and it didn't take a lot of effort. I coasted, and all the way from timid freshman to school-ruling senior, I found a way to work the system. I did just enough to get by. I played sports because I had some natural size and athleticism. I hung out with my friends during the day, and we partied hard on the weekends. Come Monday, I showed up at classes. I knew I needed to attend and skip the ones I thought I knew I could. Signed, sealed, delivered, I graduated, sounds familiar, right? When I sat down for my first core curriculum class at West Valley, the differences between my high school life and life in community college started to sink in. I didn't know anyone in the class and it sent me into a bit of a spiral. I found myself in a big lecture hall with people of all ages and backgrounds. I looked around at the room for a familiar face, but all I could see and feel was change, a radical shift from everything I had known. My heart rate spiked and I was scared. We were asked to introduce ourselves to the class. One by one, students stood up, gave their names, and offered up a personal detail or two. People were in that room for all sorts of different reasons, and they came from all walks of life. There was one woman sitting next to me who looked like she was in her early 20s. I looked at her. She stood up, hoping to establish some unspoken common ground with someone. It didn't turn out that way. I can't remember her name, but when she told the class, this is my seventh year here, my heart nearly stopped. Seventh year. Dude, I'll, I remember that like it was yesterday. Like it was yesterday. I just remember this woman sitting next to me saying, this is my seventh year, and I'd say to myself, like, I gotta get, I gotta get out of here. Mm-hmm. I, like, it was at that moment that I said to myself, like, like this is 100% on me. I need to take, you know, to your point, like ownership, extreme ownership of this situation and, 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 and get moving. So I went from that class immediately to a counselor, and I was like, I gotta get the hell out of here as fast as I can. By the way, this <laughs> whole time, you've been working in a gym yeah. since you were how old? Um, so I started working the front desk when I was old enough too. So I think it was like it was like 15, 16. I started working the front desk because my parents used to go to a health club called Melpitas Health and Fitness. Shout out to my Melpitas Health and Fitness crew. <laughs> and 
uh, I started working the front desk on the weekends when I wasn't playing sports. Mm-hmm. And that was a really cool experience. You know, you got to check people in, you got to, you know, conversate with people, sell them stuff. It was, it was a lot of fun. And then, and when I went to college at West Valley, I started working full time there. So, and what was your full-time job? Full-time front desk full-time, in the beginning? Full-time sales. Oh, so you picked up in the sales position. Yeah, so at that time, so I was working the front desk when I went to college. Um, two gentlemen, Joe Gigantino and Min Nguyen, really impactful my life. Uh, Min Nguyen was the head of sales, and I would always see his commission checks when I was working the front desk, and I was always inspired by him. And anyways, he took me underneath his wing, and what I loved about sales was that the amount of hard work you put in was directly correlated to the amount of money that you would make. And so I would be able to go to school in the mornings and work from like 2 p.m. to 8 p.m., which was like peak time at a gym, get the walk-ins, get the leads, and just hustled. And at that point, you know, I was making pretty good money throughout college for a, for a college mm-hmm. kid. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting in the book is you talk, about <laughs> you talk about your first kind of three business investments oh, yeah. in life. And... It's, it's cool that you put them in there and it's always tough for people to talk about their <laughs> mistakes and their shortfalls. Uh, so your first investment is in a product and it's, <laughs> and it's a product, I couldn't, I, I couldn't make this up. The product is called Batter Blaster. Batter <laughs> it was Batter Blaster. Echo, it was so good. It, was, it had so much Sounds potential. Good. So go ahead, explain what so Batter, what Batter Blaster, Blaster was. <laughs> it was okay. It was a pancake, organic pancake in a can. And so think about Cheese Whiz, right? So imagine Cheese Whiz. But instead of it being Cheese Whiz, it, it came out. So like, let's just say you want to make pancakes. You got to make like the batter. You got to make all this stuff. And you can't just make one. But what if you just wanted one? And so this batter guy. Blaster. Dude, dude, I'm telling you, man. This was the thing. Hell yeah. And and so I remember I invested. Who, in, how were they looking? Like, how, who was looking for investments in how did you get in on this? Well, uh, Joe and Min. And so Joe and Min knew a guy who, who had created it. And so I tried it one day. I was like, wow, this is really good. I brought it to my family. They're like, wow, this is really good. So I invested like five grand in it, which at the time was a lot of money oh, for hell me. Yeah. Yes, and man, the sky was the limit. I was thinking, oh, dude, this, this batter blast is going to be the next big Yo, thing. You're it, picking it, out Cadillacs. Yes, <laughs> I, was, I was ready. And then all of a sudden, we, it got into Costco. And there was a big opportunity, but um, you know, I learned a valuable lesson there. Is that hey, when you, it got into Costco, and it, that should yeah. be the it where, got where into you Costco buying Cadillacs, actually. Yeah, yeah it, but then all of a sudden, if, you know, if if my memory serves me correctly, it got into a big account. I believe it was Costco, mm-hmm. but they couldn't keep up with the you know inventory and demand, mm-hmm. so they needed to take on outside investment or something. And they had an opportunity to sell, but the the leader of the organization at the time didn't want to sell for the amount of money they got. Right. And anyways, they couldn't keep up with demand and they ended up shutting it down. That's what I believe I remember happening. Right. I, I remember my takeaway from that was that, you know, when you're investing in a people, you know, like you have to, I didn't even know the guy we invested. In. I just, I just thought the product was cool and I did it because my friends were doing it. I, I should have done more due diligence mm-hmm. and understood that more, but it was a good lesson. Yep. Batter blaster. Batter. So All wait, right. wait. So it came out. It was a can. <laughs> it was pancakes. Yep. But d- did you have to cook it, or was it already yeah. just boom no. made out of the can? Like what, no, what was to, the deal? No, you had to yeah. put it into a pan. <laughs> no, you had to you had to cook it. Cook it. It was like right? it was like a. It was like the the batter, right? You would just like spray okay, a little bit it. in a pan. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're good to go. And then yeah, and, you, and the G-G-G. rest of it keeps yep. in the put it back in the refrigerator. In the thing, okay. Yep. All like right. almost like a uh, like a Cool Whip, like a yeah. You know, like a, but it makes pancakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Were you seeing the vision? <laughs> <laughs> well, if they couldn't keep up with demand, that yeah, means there was yeah. massive there was, demand. Yeah, you know, there, there was a few situations like that where, you know, I just wanted to feel like I was connected, like I was investing. And, you know, these gentlemen were super impactful in my life. You know, I would, I would, 
I would meet um, probably once or twice a week with Joe on the elliptical, and we would just talk all things business. As, as a young kid, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for those lessons because what I would do is I'd go to school in the morning. Remember at this time, I had kind of woken up. Like I was a hard, I was a hard worker at this time. I would go to school, I'd go to the work, and then afterwards I would ride the elliptical at night and um, we would just talk business and I would just try and pick his brain. Cause I knew at an early age that as soon as I graduated, I wanted to open a gym. I, I, I knew it when I was a sophomore mm-hmm. in college. What about this real estate investment that you did? Oh, that, what was Idaho. this one? Yeah, so. You bought some land in Idaho? We had on some land in Idaho? Yeah, and that one ended up going bankrupt because I don't even remember exactly what happened. Well, but it's called a global economic yeah, meltdown. Yeah, the economic meltdown happened. <laughs> this is like 2007, oh, I think yeah. it was like 2008, and then all of a sudden I lost, I lost my shirt on that. But my buddies lost more, and so at the time I didn't feel I felt bad, but I, I could, didn't really have anybody to yeah. vent to because my buddies had lost a lot more money than me. I think I put another five grand into that one. And then finally, you had faded lifestyle. Oh, let's talk <laughs> let's faded go. lifestyle. Faded. Man, I have not faded lifestyle. So oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Wow, I haven't thought about that for a while. So a couple of buddies and I, um, you know, we started a clothing company called Faded Lifestyles, mm. and at the time. You know, we were young kids. We were 17, 18, 20, 19 years old and faded was like, hey, are you getting, you know, like faded, like mm-hmm. drinking. And so we would, we created a clothing line and we would print our own shirts. We would actually, we actually bought a, like, like a screen press, screen press mm-hmm. and we made it ourselves and we would go to clubs. And I remember my, my cousin at the time was a club promoter in San Jose. And I just remember we'd get it. We'd be, we wouldn't even be 21. And we got there and we had faded lifestyle stickers on the back of our cars. Like we thought we were so cool. We'd go up there, be like, hey, this, this party's brought to you by faded lifestyles. And we would just throw out shirts and stuff. We didn't end up selling much at all, <laughs> but it was a good, it was a good, you know, the, the, the takeaway from that experience was there was, I remember when we, when we signed up for the business from the Santa Clara County, there wasn't enough, uh, space on the line for us to fill out the amount of people that were part of the company because there's four of us mm-hmm. it's a lot of people when you're mm-hmm. uh, you know so we put each person's name and um the learning lesson there was like partnerships clear guidelines and expectations and how you know doing business with friends you just have to be aware that like unless you set the expectation early and often it could end up bad and in our particular case nothing was terrible but it was a good lesson mm-hmm. but we we th- that one sank too man i, I lost how much money did you put in there i think i put another five or seven thousand into that one because at the time you know i was doing pretty good um actually some money i got from selling nintendo wii's um i put into fatal lifestyle so my my girlfriend and i at the time we would um we, we wanted to get a nintendo wii for christmas but there was a high demand so we ended up realizing that if you take these and you sell them on Craigslist, you, actually, you can actually make money. So what we would do is we'd stand in line at Best Buy at like 5 a.m. on a Sunday. We'd wait for them. We'd get a, be- a Wii. We would then later on sell it on Craigslist. Then we ended up getting our friends to do it. And then each, because it's one per person. So we ended up getting a bunch of Wiis during Christmas time. We sold them and make money. And then I used that money to, to fund Faded Lifestyles. Damn. Right on. All right. <laughs> But the, what what this does to you in in the book you talk about this is basically puts you in debt as you get as you graduate from college because you eventually did get transferred over to Santa Clara and that was after it was on your fourth attempt three fourth. three rejections fourth attempt yeah it I was, thought I won the lottery man how sick. bad was your high school transcript it, it, you know looking back on it it must not have been very good but I think it was probably like a two point eight maybe it does. <laughs> If I applied three times, it probably was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but you eventually get in there, and now you. What was your degree in? Uh, business management. 
Uh, you graduate, which is cool, and you're stoked, and now you um, roll out. And I got to go to the book for this because it's kind of uh, it's kind of an interesting scenario that that goes down and kicks off some of your future life here. So it says this. So you end up going to this interview for like a financial company. Oh, you go to this interview for a financial company, and um, basically. The, the one of the women that interviews you said you, you know hey you, you did okay here's your next time for your next interview you, you need to get a better suit for your next interview oh. this one's kind of you know not up to speed and you say in the book this this woke me up and the great wealth promised by a job in finance faded into the background first off that I really want to spend the rest of my life at work in a suit and tie was that what I wanted to be? Despite my best efforts, I had been told to come back looking sharper and better groomed for the next interview. What next interview, I thought. I walked out of the office and climbed the steps to the third level of the parking garage. My future career felt like it was a blazing four-alarm fire. Sirens were blaring in my head. This was no joke. It was a good opportunity for a business grad, and, I, and it was a smart, comfortable choice. Was I in a position to pass it up? It was traditional and safe for sure, but was it me? My heart said, no, absolutely not. It was a resounding, a resounding and echoing no. This was 100% not for me. First off, in my best, if my best dress wasn't good enough for them, then why bother? Besides, this wasn't how I felt comfortable either. If I were to define my ideal dress style, I would characterize it as clothes in which I can move around in easily. Suits feel like straight jackets. However, attire wasn't the real problem. The problem was that I wanted to go into business for myself. I wanted to compete in the sport of business. I wanted that business to be in a world in which I was passionate about, fitness. I wanted to be my own boss and feel comfortable in my own skin. I wanted to be in, in an industry where I wouldn't be judged, not by the price of my suit, but by my work ethic and results. The realization of my path poured over me. I was attracted to the uncertainty and discomfort of being an entrepreneur, not because of the risk and reward, but because it would force me to push the boundaries of what I was capable of doing. Perhaps I could sense that it was a pivotal decision. I knew that if I pursued financial services job, 10 years could fly by and I would regret that I hadn't taken the chance to do something greater. For all I knew, I could be the one sitting at that desk telling some recent grad to press his lapels better next time. I could never be that person and being true to myself was far too important to ignore. The decision was made. I'll never forget the call I made to my dad while walking to my car. I'd never felt as sure of anything in my life as I as I did at that moment when I pulled out my cell phone and dialed. I knew that I needed to follow my passion, my why, and start my own business. The phone rang a few times. I was nervous, as you can imagine, but not because I wasn't sure of my decision. That was certain. I just wasn't sure what my parents would say. It rang again, and he finally picked up. Jason, how'd the interview go? Hi, Dad, I have to tell you something. I want to wear gym shorts and a t-shirt to work every day. I want to improve people's lives. I want my hard work to be directly related to my success. I want to open my own gym. It couldn't have been more than two or three seconds. Okay, let's do it, he said. Yeah. Damn, full support from the old man, huh? Yeah, man. My dad, my mom, they're the best. They're the best. I'm, I'm, I am truly blessed to have phenomenal family around me, which which came in there, but I mean, even 
ten tenfold that when Ava got sick. Yep. Ten tenfold. And, and I forgot to mention this. Your dad had leukemia, a form of leukemia, when you were fourteen years old or fifteen yeah, years old, something when like I was that. In high school, and he's he struggled with that again. You know, in the last couple of years, but yeah, he did. And so he was a he was he was definitely a, a powerful voice during when Ava was sick in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in 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 regards to this, like. It was just one of those moments in life you look back on. And, you know, I, I really tried my best in that interview. And maybe some people listening can relate to this. I, I, I really tried to look the part. I wanted to get this job. And when this woman told me, like, hey, she said, you did a great job in the interview. You're charismatic. You're whatever. But when you speak to my boss, can you please wear a better suit? And I just remember saying to myself, like, really? That's the takeaway from this? Like, your takeaway is that I'm being judged based on my suit? I'm good. Like I'm out. Mm-hmm. And you know, from that day forward, you know, it 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 started a slew of events that just like took off. So I graduated from college in July of 2008. I had signed a lease on a building. It was like 1200 square feet. It was this junky warehouse that just I fell in love with um the same week, right? And then I won the CrossFit Games like a week or two later. So um, when did you get introduced to CrossFit? 2006. So when I was a junior, sophomore, junior in, in college, junior, I was introduced early. And and how'd that go down? Austin Begeebing, who I worked with at Milpitas on the Fitness, he said his mom had been looking at a website and, and you know, we should try these workouts. And so at the time I was doing, I obviously I'd played football and then I got into more traditional like bodybuilding. Right before this, I got introduced to a San show and Muay Thai, like Chinese kickboxing mm-hmm. and obviously Thai kickboxing. And I really got into that. So I dropped from like 260 or 240 or whatever to like 215 because I was just getting lean. I was, you know, hitting tie pads and focus mitts. It was, it was great. I was sparring all the time. It was awesome. And uh, when he introduced me to his workouts, what we would do is we would just kind of cherry pick off the website. And in the beginning, I didn't really understand what intensity was. I didn't, I didn't get the idea of intensity. So we would do these workouts and they were like, eh, it's like, okay, cool. And then eventually the one that convinced me that I got really into was we would do a hundred reps of bench press at 135 as fast as we can. Echo and I actually did this like what, a month ago at, mm-hmm. at the origin camp. Mm-hmm. That was the one that got me. Cause I remember saying to myself, like I'm trying to get as much work done in as little time as possible. I'm racing the clock. And so what I fell in love with with CrossFit was a coach, the community, the clock, and this idea of complexity. I really like the idea of learning new skills, whether that be a bar muscle-up, muscle-up, snatching. It brought something to me that unlocked this idea where I was now learning, kind of like jujitsu, where I was learning, but I was also able to train hard. And you got into it, obviously. Yes, yeah. So I got into it in 2006. And, and I pivoted what I wanted to do from owning a brick and mortar conventional gym to a CrossFit gym because I felt like it aligned with my why. Like this is nothing against the conventional gym. It's just at that point, a lot of it was like, hey, what are your numbers? How much are you bringing in? You know, how do we get more people in? Versus, hey, let's get some people in the door, but let's really make an impact on their lives. Let's have them walk away and be like, I would pay double for this service because you're doing such a great job. And I really connected with that idea of being a coach. Mm-hmm. So I started coaching classes and then I opened our gym. Where were you coaching classes at? at on the CrossFit gym? Yeah. At the, Did you go to a CrossFit level one seminar and whatnot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went to my level one and then I started coaching at the same gym that I was working at, the conventional gym. We ended up putting a CrossFit in there. And so okay. it just really, I wasn't coaching for long before I opened my business because 
it just wasn't as common at that point. Like we were kind of spearheading this movement along with many other people in the Bay Area. And we were all trying to just learn from each other. And I remember I, I, my first location, I signed a six month lease. And I signed it on the hood of this guy's truck. I'll never forget this guy. And he really gave me an opportunity. And the only reason why he gave me this opportunity is because I went to San Clay University and so did he. And I had no money, I had nothing to my name. And I think he just saw the drive like, hey, I'm not gonna let you down, man. Like, if you let me sign this lease, I'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. And I signed a six month lease and I just told myself, I'm either gonna be successful enough to outgrow it or I'm gonna fail. And obviously we just kept moving from there forward. Mm-hmm. So you're training, <clears throat> when you were training now for the first CrossFit Games, when was the first CrossFit Games? It was 2007, right? That's right. So now you're going in, so now you had some idea from watching it from the outside what it was gonna be like. You knew you had to be prepared for basically anything, but you kind of also knew the core uh, methodologies and modalities of strength and fitness that you were needed to be working on. How hard were you training? Were you training like yeah. a psycho? Yeah, well like back then, like swimming wasn't a part of the CrossFit games and the the, the, the barriers, the, the margins were a little bit narrower than they are today. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was training hard, but at the time training hard then was different than it is today. So I would challenge people on YouTube. So I would I would like, back then it was like, OPT and this guy Bionic out of Florida, I would like do a challenge video. You can still find them on YouTube where you would do it and then you'd say, hey, like, can you get better than this? That's what I was pushing myself. And when I showed up for my, the, my first CrossFit Games experience, the the model just worked for me. I had a good events. It just, I was training hard, but at, back then it was just once a day, it was like a big deal. As I grew with the sports, I competed for the next about 10 years. So from when I started, to when I retired from the sport, there was a significant difference in the way people trained. Yeah, but this first CrossFit Games that you got ready for, you were pretty much training once a day, hard, but you weren't, you would say you're not going as hard as you would end up training later? Yeah, oh, 100%, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, when you think about like, and this is something I reflect on a lot, is like anything in life that's like really worth something is you put so much work and dedication to it that when you achieve it, it's like, wow, it's that moment. The 2012, or excuse me, 13 and 14 games meant a lot more to me than 08 because in 08, when I won, like it was great, but I hadn't put in bulk of years of work to, to get me to that point. You know, I, I got, you know, I was, I was pretty fit and I got lucky with some of the events and I I remember we, I remember what, event I were you, what events were you good at in 2008 that helped you win it? So there was a, a short hill run. I didn't do that great. I mean, it was like it was like a chest bar fran. That was the first year they ever introduced a chest bar pull up, which was like unheard of at the time. And getting your bar, getting your chest from like uh, your chin to the to the bar Big is difference. much different. And then um, they did like a burpee deadlift. I, I did good in all of them, but the way that that year worked, which was unique and it will never happen again, was it was called every second counts. And the way they did it this year is that each one of the workouts had similar time domains. So nowadays I would never fly because you want to work different systems. Mm -hmm. But what they did is they accumulated your time throughout the events. There was uh, three events on Saturday and then one event on Sunday, something along that line. And they accumulated your score. And then based on where you sat, that's how they staggered you for the finals. So in the finals, I started like a minute and 50 seconds behind the person in first. And one by one by one, they went based on where they staggered until they got to me. So I was like in eighth place. And then whoever won that event won everything. Because if the if you oh. caught up with the person in front, you won everything. So that was- And what was the final event? Oh man, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was 30 squat clean and jerks for time. And at the time- With what weight? 
155. Okay. And so it was a squat clean and jerk. And at the time, most people were doing a squat clean, stand, reset, jerk, right, for 30. I asked the question to Boz, who was a head judge at the time, can we basically cluster it? Yeah, thruster it. He said yes. So from the get-go, so it was like Spieler started, then a bunch of other people started. I'm just watching them. I'm just like sitting there, just like, you know, chomping the bit, ready to go. And I was not the favorite to win at all. No one even knew who I was. And uh, I, I clustered, or I, I basically squat clean thrustered all of them, and I ended up winning. And uh, that, was a, that was a cool moment for me. Could those guys see what you were doing and start to turn up their pace and start to cluster as well? A little bit, but you know, at the time, it's like they didn't even know I was like relevant because everybody was watching Josh Everett at the time who had an Olympic lifting background. He was like in fourth place. So like he was the favorite going in. And I was kind of like, you know, I'm in eighth place. Who the hell thinks a guy from eighth place is going to catch up? And so no one was really watching. I just remember, um, you know, it's like. And it was only 30? It was only 30. But back then, So man, how, what was the total time on that? It was like two minutes like and 30 you. seconds. So or, how did no. you make up a minute oh. and 56 seconds in that short amount of time? I'd have to look back <clears throat> on it. But it's because, for example, Chris took six minutes to finish. Mm-hmm. Right? And then the other guy took five. I just did it. Just know, significantly faster yeah. than than them, and uh, you know I just it, it's it's so funny because after I won, you you watch there's a there's a movie called Every Second Counts, and you just see Josh Everett's face like what <laughs> like no one knew like it, it was it, it was a cool. Did moment. Josh come in second? Uh, Josh came in second, and okay. I think it was Jeremy Teal took third, if I'm not mistaken. Now all of a sudden you're a freaking CrossFit champion. And this is, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of how big CrossFit was in 2008. It's definitely on the rise for sure. Uh, we had the CrossFit here at Victory at yeah. that time. We started that, in, well, we got the the thing in 2007 and we opened the gym in January 2nd of 2008. But so CrossFit's pretty big. Did you, what, what was it like from like a game changer for you as a, as a person that was literally unknown yeah. And then you win the world championship. Well, so at, at that point, you know, social media wasn't super prevalent. There was blogs that were available. I just remember I won and my friends and I went to In-N-Out Burger. And we just like, <laughs> when I won the CrossFit Games, I won like $2,000 and a couple and like a pair of shoes. And I, I was not doing this for the money, the fame, the fortune. I was doing it because I just wanted to test myself. I wanted to see how do I stack up. And from that day on, I just told myself, like, I just had specific rules when it came to training, like, I will never do this for the money and the fame. I'll do it because I want to see where I stack up. And I'll never say no to someone who wants to take a picture with me. Mm-hmm. Like those are like like just simple rules because eventually that was going to end. And so I got home and our gym obviously got like an influx of members. But at the time, like you weren't making enough to live off of in CrossFit like you can now. And so I was still running a business and and I'm training. And, and then, you know, I, I then competed in 09. I competed for the next 10 years. I worked for CrossFit, all that kind of stuff. It just stemmed a whole lifestyle. Mm-hmm. When you say an influx of members, is it like crazy? Well, like, well, at what point did you have to get a bigger gym? So we, we, we moved out after six months, but not because of the CrossFit Games. Like, I think people have this misconception about people who become famous or do something. You might attract people to your business, but if you're not a good person or if you treat people inappropriately mm-hmm. or if you're not a good coach, just because you're a good athlete doesn't mean you're a good coach. True. And I was coaching all the class at the time. And so we saw an influx, but not like, Gazillions. It wasn't of a game changer. No, I mean it, it definitely helped, but it wasn't right, a game changer. Right. And then from there, we expanded our second location, and then we moved on from there. So now, are you starting to think 
in 2009 or 2008, the rest of 2008, you're starting to train for to win again. Yeah, that's I right. assume. Yes. So, do, did you change anything about how you were training? Did you learn anything? Like, what was what was the adjustments you made? I mean, you know, at the time I was working really hard. You know, I was the only coach at our gym, and I just I, we had to be successful. And so it was long days, you know. And I would just get in my training during off hours. So I'd get there for the five a.m. class, six a.m. class. Middle of the day, I'd hit a session, um, and then I'd hit a little bit of session because I was just at the gym all day long. Mm-hmm. And so. My training changed because instead of being at the conventional gym or whatnot, I was at a boutique brick and mortar CrossFit gym with no one else around during off hours. So I would just train. And um, that helped me a lot. Going into 2009, though, I learned a lot of, you know, from a mental perspective. I ended up uh, getting a a mindset coach. This is later on in my career. I wish I had had one earlier Mm -hmm. because in 2009, you know, I went in there as the current champ and I just, I became. You know, I, I thought that I needed to fire myself up on, you know, hardcore music, this and that. It started off with a 7K hill run. And um, I was getting married the week later. Mm-hmm. And I just, I got on this hill run. I was the current champ. Just just too much nerves, too much anxiousness. And I ended up passing out. And um, I ended up getting back up. I took basically last night event. I ended up coming back and taking fifth that year. But I learned a lot about myself. Like, I, I built some confidence up that, like, when, when I passed out and Dave Casher was like, hey, if you don't continue, like your games are done, I felt good that I got back up and finished, mm-hmm. but I had to ask myself, why did I even get in that place in the first place? Mm-hmm. That was 2009. So I, I actually watched that video uh, <laughs> yesterday of you just gassing out. I mean, it's the, it's, it's the definition of gassing out when you see you. Yeah. You, so did was it you just ran so hard that you literally gassed out and yeah. you just didn't have anything? I mean, you fall down, you fall down. Like you fall down. I, I blacked out. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think it has anything to do. I, I think looking back on it, it was just that I had headphones on and I was listening to like Eminem and two. I don't even know what I was listening to, but I was listening to stuff that was like high adrenaline. And I think I made this mistake. I ended up making this mistake again the next year, which I shouldn't have, but I did where I thought that I had to like put myself in a state of fired up, mm-hmm. but you're going to be fired up when you hear that three, two, one go gun go off. And I, 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 I utilized too much of my adrenaline and I just, I just depleted all my resources and I had false impressions of how well I should have done on that event. I, I needed to just chill. I ended up getting poison oak that year because we ended up, we crawled up one of the hills and I mean, it was gnarly. It was a gnarly 7k hill run, but I just, the learning lesson there was not that I went too fast. It was that I, I did not conserve energy enough for that moment and mentally I became just broken mm-hmm. but the cool thing is number one and again this is in the video you can watch this video on YouTube I forget the link but Castro comes over like you're laying on the ground and you in the book you you describe this you're laying on the ground and you describe Castro coming over and being like hey dude if you don't get up you're out and you go back to him like well, what's this phrase you say I, I, I I'm gonna do this absolutely and you, you can watch this all in the video um, it's just like, and, and then you have to recover. You have like a half an hour to recover. Yeah. And, and then deadlifted, yeah. And then you're getting into the next part of the games, right? Yeah. So there was a, it was basically a very, you know what they say in fighting is, you know, when a guy gets tested, you like they really, like you can have a guy that's a champ and he knocks this guy out in the first round, chokes this guy out in the second round, beats this other guy in the first round, and then finally gets the championship match. 
and they get tested five rounds, not just five rounds, but five grueling rounds, and people say they get tested. Even if they lose, they're like, well, he got tested. He lost the decision, but he kind of passed the test of he can. he's gonna be able to push through stuff, and it seemed to me like that's what that CrossFit Games was for you because you, for all practical purposes, could have been like, yeah, I've obviously got something wrong with me, and I'm out. But you didn't. You and you actually came back and came in fifth, right? Yeah. And I think you get, you came. In, what was there seventy five competitors when it started? Yeah. And you came in seventy fifth on the first event. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's not something I think about that often, other than every day. But <laughs> but the, the the way that it was uh, the way that it went is they made cuts. So if I had taken last place in like day two, I would have won the game because I got last place with like the way the point system worked was it favored the earlier events more because they had more competitors. Mm -hmm. And then throughout the weekend they made cuts. So at the end, if you took last place on that event, it wasn't the same disadvantage than if you did in the beginning. But in either case, right, I didn't perform, I didn't win, took fifth. So uh, I won what they call the spirit of the games award that year, which was cool, which, you know, signified to me to your point, like, it, it, I, I wasn't, I've never done CrossFit because I want to like make a buck or whatever. I did it because I just, I love the push. I love seeing like, where do I stack up? Like, why do I do all these hard things? It's because I enjoy, I enjoy that, that feeling of like accomplishment, you know, and mm-hmm. not just at CrossFit, but all, all the other things I've done, you know? So what'd you change in your training Oh yeah, but so you got married, right? You're covered in poison oak, and you get married. Yeah, that was that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Your wife's like, I'm an e, who am I marrying? Dude, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had poison oak on my hands, and yeah, good so, times. Yep, uh, good honeymoon, I'm sure. Um, what did you change in your training now, going into 2010? Like. It was just more volume, you know. 2010 things really, you know, for anybody who's like a CrossFit historian. All, uh, which I don't know how many there are out there, but 2007, <laughs> eight, <laughs> nine. That's a good question. <laughs> 2007, eight, nine, we're all at uh, Dave Casher's ranch. Yeah. They ended up going back there during the year of COVID, but nonetheless, it switched to the Home Depot Center in Southern California in, in Carson. And at that point, like we really felt we made it, man. Mm-hmm. Reebok came on as a sponsor, or Progenics actually came on as a big sponsor. And like the prize purse went from like 5,000 to 25,000. It was like, it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I get down there in the first event, you know, the national anthem plays, they have jets fly over. I am so fired up. And I went in there as the favor, right? Because I have a first and a fifth. And um, I learned a lot of valuable lessons that year. You know, I think that my performance wasn't quite there. After that, I ended up really, you know, just creating a training environment that was conducive, starting doing double the days, and then boom, just had a lot of good years after mm-hmm. that. Did you make any fatal mistakes in 2010? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the well, first what was event. the fatal mistake? I, I just went out too hot in the first event. Same so, thing. Oh, yeah. What was the first event? It was called Amanda. So uh, Amanda, here, here's the thing about it. The first event of the CrossFit Games 2010 was all about how fast can you move with complex movements and still be able to connect your brain with your body. Mm-hmm. So it starts off and it goes squat snatches and muscle-ups. And it's nine, seven, five. That's it. It's nine nine muscle ups, nine squat snatches at I think one thirty five, seven seven five five. That's it. So I get through the nine nine, I'm winning. I get through the seven seven, I'm winning. I get back to my five, and my body just turns numb, and I can't connect it. So I start doing singles, one one one. I get back, I'm still in the game, and then it's the last five squat snatches, and I just. Dude, I just I just break down. I end up they they call them now the burpee bar chasers because what would happen is I'd receive it at the bottom 
Mm-hmm. And then I could, I just could not connect my brain and I just would drop it. I ended up taking like middle of the pack or like last place on that. It was, it was bad. And I laid on that floor for a solid hour before they had to cart me off. Like I, I couldn't function. I just, uh, where I have had my faults in competition is that I, I'd rather like not die. That's, that's an exaggeration. But I'd rather like black out mm-hmm. than, than not go at my best effort. So this is like a pre-Fontaine. You know who that is? Prefontaine. Prefontaine, the runner. He's like the one of the most iconic American runners ever. Uh, they call him Pre, and he would run so hard that sometimes he would win first place by a great distance, and sometimes, including in the Olympics, he would fall apart. You know, like he would literally just gas himself out and wouldn't. You know, would come in fifth or something. Yeah. The guy that it, who would be just he would just kill he would just kill so it sounds like you had a little pre-fontaine going i did i did after that after that year though um i ended up having a good run so after that it was like i took a first a fifth a 16th a seventh a fifth a second and a third and and then i went team for a year so you you in 2011 you renamed your gym to norcal crossfit is that right uh 2000 so no no um so in 2008 it was crossfit santa clara right then we opened up another location we called that crossfit mountain view then we opened up another location. We started saying, hey, if we have all these different locations, right? Because we had some key talent. What should we, we should put them underneath one umbrella. So mm-hmm. we called it NorCal CrossFit. Got it. And we kept it as NorCal CrossFit. I want to say it was like maybe 2010, 11 through 2016. Mm-hmm. And then at that point we said, hey, we want to be in control of our own destiny. We also are not only offering at the time CrossFit. We're offering a variety of different services. So we branded it NC Fit. And I learned a lot through that experience. A lot of mistakes were made. Um, but that's why we were NorCal CrossFit is to be indicative of multi locations in the Bay Area, and then and then we rolled out NC Fit. And at the time, like 2011, 12, we also then started expanding globally with Western Digital, which that was a whole what, other. What, what's what's Western Digital? Um, they're this like is a, a company, right? Yeah, so they're they're a giant company that just acquired Sandisk, you know, a few years ago. They make all kinds of different products, and they have locations all over the world. So what happened with that is. From a business perspective, let's just talk about 2000, it's like 2011, 11, 12. Mm-hmm. We'd opened up multiple locations in the Bay Area. I then started doing corporate wellness. So I would show up at these companies at like 5 a.m. and start bringing kettlebells and dumbbells. And what we found was that the, the connections that were being fostered in our gym, we could bring them to companies because that shared suffering, that, that connection. All of a sudden you're having HR talk to legal and instead of them just leaving like an email on the debt or in, an email there, They'd be in the gym and be like, hey man, just letting you know I shot you an email. Boom, it increased productivity and it created really strong connections. So we ended up doing a deal with GoPro. We worked with Twitter. We worked with all kinds of companies, but Western Digital, at the time it was called HGST, and then it became Western Digital, was by far our biggest partner. And for 10 years, we serviced our locations all over the world. So in 2011, 2012, we expanded from maybe four brick and mortar, I wanna say, to 20. And so I ended up traveling all over the world, Singapore, Thailand, Philippines. Were all those other additional 16, were all those uh, just to service Western Digital? That's right. And so I ended up, so we ended up owning multiple locations and then operating many. And we ended up getting other corporate wellness accounts. And so, yeah, that just, that just was a, a super interesting relationship because I ended up learning how to how to connect with people from different countries. You'd be out in the Philippines. We had three locations in Malaysia. Just, it was really cool. And that we fostered a strong culture um, for 10 years and we had to hire people. So, you know, we were hiring a lot of people and 
that, that was amazing experience. How many people did you end up working or worked I, in the company? I think at our largest, we had about 140 employees. Now we're you know a little less than half that, and sh- things have just evolved. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, from that from that point on, um, you know, we, essentially the way our, our business was ran is NC Fit. We owned and operated brick and mortar, then we operated some, and then we rolled out a digital model to service gym owners and coaches, which really has done well for us over the years. Mm-hmm. Now, in 2013, you got second place. In the CrossFit Games, yeah, that was a big deal. And what was going on? Did you modify your training? What was what was the deal? How did you do so well that year? Uh, and why didn't you win? Oh, dude, I thought I was gonna win. Um, <laughs> damn it, Rich Froning. Um, and oh, that'll, that's a good reason not to yeah, win. Uh, 2012, 13, and 14, I was able to represent the United States on Team USA, which was really cool too with with Rich. But anyways, um, it was just a good year. You know, I, I won this half marathon row. I, I won a lot of events, and it was just a really good year because. In CrossFit, a lot of times when you win an event, it happens very quickly. Like you don't know you're gonna win, you just boom, make it. But that year, there was multiple events, one called the Burden Run, and um, where I knew I was gonna win before I won. And so it was just like a lot of- Describe the Burden Run. So the Burden Run was, it was a three mile run, you came in, you flipped what they called a pig, which was like a multi hundred pound item across a football field. You carried a log like 200 meters, and then you pulled a sled. And when Dave um, briefed it the night before, I just had this vision of like what it would be like to walk in the stadium first. And I knew that if I went into the stadium first, the soccer stadium, I was gonna win the event because I wasn't gonna be out pulled on a sled. And so it just, I wasn't gonna allow it to happen. So I had this vision and I ended up getting there first by a decent margin. And so I said to myself, hey, don't get, you know, don't get too comfortable. Take that sled, get it halfway and then take it all in. So I ran in there, boom, I grabbed the sled, I went as hard as I could halfway, and then I looked around, there was no one else still in the stadium. And the way that worked was like, a win was a win. Didn't matter if you finished in 10 minutes or whatever. It, it, it didn't matter as long as you won. So I took so I took a moment to kind of take it in to realize all the hard work I'd put in and, and then finish it out. So that year was a lot of those type of events. I just felt really good. Rich had some incredible performances right at the end, caught me and took first. and. Yeah, that, I mean, obviously that sucked, but um, I was still proud of my uh, achievement because at that point, right, I had fought so hard for so long. I'd I'd won my region every year. I'd won all these other events. I'd won all these things, but I couldn't get back on the podium for multiple years. So to get back on the podium was an amazing, amazing um, accomplishment. And the following year, I got back on the podium and my kids were able to get on it with me, which was yeah. really cool. And Froning's an animal. He's like, okay. <laughs> 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 what about your what about your fuel intake? What are you doing at this point? By the way, as far as food, I love Rich. Um, I was just with him last week at the Rogue Invitational. No, I, I actually just met him for the first time at the CrossFit Games. He's just a freaking yeah. awesome guy, total stud, um, super nice and humble and cool. Just a great dude for sure, dude. Hundred um, percent. When it comes to fuel, you know, I think that back then, so there's been evolution in CrossFit. So in the, in the early days, it was like, dude, just train your face off, go as hard as you can. Which, which is obviously what I did, and then you're gonna do well. Then it kind of evolved to like, hey, it's all about pacing. You know, I had a coach called Chris Hinshaw who really taught me about pacing and cadence, and that really helped me with my, my running to get my times down. Then it evolved to like, okay, no longer do you want to smash your face. Pacing is important, but now what are you feeling yourself with, and how's your recovery? Mm-hmm. And so it evolved kind of after my time, but during the time I was training so much, typically three times a day, I just kind of ate what I what I felt like I could. So my morning session would typically be fasted cardio, which I still do today. You know, 
30 to an hour of just like hard cardio just right in the morning then what what what's your cardio variants what do you do uh, like typically I just like the bike mm-hmm. I like any type of bike sometimes I'll run but sometimes I'll row but in general um, I'll, I'll just bike I just like outdoor it. bike or like a bike in a like a bicycle gym. like like a like an air bike or even like a concept two type bike okay. just just something to get my heart rate elevated typically what my mornings look like today are my daughter and I train in the mornings and so I'll train her and then I'll go ahead and do some cardio and then it'll just kind of jumpstart the day. Nothing crazy. I don't like lifting and getting too wild that early. I need to kind of prime, um, prime up. But anyways, back to the day, I would do a midday session, which is like very CrossFit. So I'd have a crew that would just come. We would just create this atmosphere, just this fun atmosphere. And for any, any future CrossFit listening to this, you know, the, the, the money, the, the, the fame, it doesn't come fast or easy. Surround yourself with like-minded people where you could really enjoy the experience because that's something you could do for a long time. And that's what we had in NorCal. It's just a group of just hard chargers just got after it. So I would do that for like two hours midday. And then in the evening, I would work. So hold on. Midday workout is a CrossFit-esque workout, you're saying? Yeah. Meaning like a Metcon, meaning what, like, and how's it taking two hours? Because typically what we would do, so you have the fasted card in the morning, and then midday, you would do like a CrossFit session. So what we would do is like we'd warm up with like, we would warm up like with a hard EMOM. Then we would get into some type of strength. Then we would do some type of like, you know, three minutes on, one minute off for 10 rounds. And so by the time you're done with all that, especially a strength session in the middle, uh, you're, you're like two hours, 90 okay. minutes. And then in the evening, I would work stamina work. And this is where like countless times my wife and I would like, she'd come into the garage, she'd be like, Jason, dinner's ready. And I'd come in sweating my ass off just with my, you know, and because uh, I would be working stamina. So I'd do like a 20 minute EMOM of strict handstand pushups or a 20 minute EMOM of strict chest to bar pull-ups, something where I was trying to enhance my gymnastic stamina. Mm-hmm. What, what was your area of weakness? That, yeah. Gymnastics stamina. Yeah. So it wasn't just like, so the way I think about it is not just like contractile potential. It's not just like a one time, like pure, mm-hmm. like I could do one muscle up. It's how quickly do you fatigue out, right? Like think about the same thing with push ups. Like mm-hmm. it's a muscle stamina issue. Like you could perform one really well, but if I ask you to do a hundred, what happens? So when you start adding in these EMOMs every minute on the minute, you start creating goals based on that minute. And now all of a sudden you can adjust that minute goal as you improve. So an example, every minute on the minute for 10 minutes, 10 chest bar pull-ups. This is one I would do probably once or twice a week. And once you accomplish that, then you could add to 11, maybe 12. But now you're using the clock as an indicator of your success instead of just arbitrarily asking questions. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, the th- so this is your three workouts fasted cardio in the morning kind of a little bit chill you know not like relaxing but it's not you're not going psycho a long workout in the midday that's going to be crossfit kind of kind of based yep and and kind of long for crossfit like maybe multiple crossfit workouts like if you think about it what you just said is kind of multiple crossfit workouts that's right and then in the evening it's this stamina situation that usually is taking around 20 minutes okay so so you're freaking tired and are you doing any are you doing any uh, stretching? Are you doing any ice bath? Are you doing sauna? Are you doing anything like that? Yeah, so the cold and hot therapy wasn't as popular like now I do, right? So I have a cold plunge, I have a sauna. Obviously I do a lot of jiu-jitsu now. My training's different now, but back then, I wouldn't really expose myself to hot and cold. I wish I had, but um, I would just like, 
listen to my body. And I would just say, what does my body need? And if it needed broccoli and rice, great. If it needed just like peanut butter and honey, which is like my go-to before workouts, great. But I would just try and be really in tune with what I was feeling and how I want to do. And that's the way that I trained. And I would program for myself so that if I was feeling good, like I'm going for PRs. If I'm not feeling good, like I'm just trying to get through it, have a good session. But I wanted to align my expectation with how I was feeling. Mm-hmm. It was really important to me. And where are you getting your protein from? Um, you know, obviously. And are you thinking about it? Is it a big deal? Are you like count? Did you ever count like uh, macros? Yeah. So, so uh, over the over my span of career, I've done like hardcore zone. I've done full paleo. I've done full carnivore. I've tried every nutritional plan you could think of. Um, but what I ended up coming down to is like, I think about like a discipline bucket. I only have so much discipline in my bucket. I was using it very, very, very for all my training, my business, my family. I was really using a lot of discipline. When it came to food, I was just fueling my body with what felt right. Yeah. And when you're working out that freaking hard, I mean, you just can kinda, pretty, pretty much eat whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. And I mean, as long as you're getting enough protein. That's right. And, and so, I, you know, I was fortunate that Ashley would always have great meals at home. I'd always have access to protein, et cetera. But I think at the end of the day, it's like, you know, for me, like nutrition could have been optimized for inflammation. If I could look back on it, because, you know, what you're trying to get down to is, is how fast can I recover? So if I was able to recover faster through, you know, anti-inflammatory type foods or not, you know, if I have a slight allergy to gluten or dairy, I just didn't even think about those things. I didn't care. I should have cared. Mm-hmm. So 2014 is your last uh, is that the last time you did the individual competition of CrossFit? That's right. And so, how'd you feel that year? Because you got third place. Oh, I that's felt a, great. That's a good run. Oh, it was a great run. So every year my wife and I would have a conversation and we'd say, you know, hey, what are we doing this year? Because it wasn't just me. She mm-hmm. made just as many sacrifices as I did, if not more. And so the way that my season ended up being was it was a lot. From 2011 till 2016, 15, like I competed year round. The reason why is that I was invited to compete for Team USA. So what would happen is you'd have an online open, which is like everybody does it. You have to perform. Then from there, you go to regionals. Then from your region, you go to the games. And then if you perform well enough at the games, you get invited to go represent your country. And I did that for multiple years in a row. So it was a lot on the family. And, you know, for me, I remember specific times where like there were sacrifices that were made. You know, we we would, we'd go to parties and something and I would be like, Ashley, I got to go home. Like I got to go sleep. And that that is a drain on 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 our relationship and so that year in 2000 going into 2014 we had our talk like after the games we'd always go and like go on a vacation we just sat down we're like hey where are we at this year she's like jay i just can't do it anymore like so from 2012 she'd be like "Ah, i got a little bit more of me 13 she's like "Ah, i got a little bit more of me but not much 14 she's like dude i i can't do it anymore Mm -hmm. and at that point you know like i never got into this for money fame or whatever my relationship to my wife is the most important thing and so I chose to go team the following year. And the and, team was great. Yep, yep. And so t- talk about that team. Well, yeah. first of all, you got third place in 2014. And I mean, that's freaking badass. Like, be just being on the podium against the best people in the world is just insane. Yeah, I mean, that was a good year. So I won my region. So I did well in the Open. I won my region, took third at the games, and then our team ended up winning for Team USA. So that was like a good run. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the following year, I ended up going team. Our team was just absolutely killing it. We had the best team. It was incredible. Uh, we won our region. We won everything. It was great. And then we get to the games, and 
we're like multiple days into the games and we're doing really well. We're up by hundreds of points. It looks like we're the, you know, it looks like we're the winner. And one of our teammates tore ACL and I did not do a good job detaching, which we could talk about that from a leadership perspective. And there's some things I wish I had done differently at that moment, but I was so invested in the winning. I was just, I was emotional. I was, uh, my ego was in the way. It was just all kinds of stuff. She tears her ACL and we end up taking 10th that year because we just couldn't continue competing. That was that was that was heartbreaking for everybody. So how did your emotion and your ego play into that? So, you know, we're we're on the field and we're up by, like I said, hundreds of points. Miranda's um doing what they um doing, if I'm not mistaken, it was a power clean. And she catches it a little bit off and her knee buckles and they diagnose her with the torn ACL like immediately. And at the time, like you had just spent so much time and effort for this moment like you and victories right over there and victories right there and like it was very hard for me not to be like well we could compete with five people still put her in you know wrap it up let's go like i i was just thinking like how can i still have her on our team how can we still win because that was the goal like and i just had blinders on you know i just i was so competitive i am a i'm a pretty competitive person and i couldn't i couldn't detach from my perspective my perspective was dude i came here to win I didn't come here for a second. I came here to win. And every year at the games, that was my perspective. I think that's important as a competitor. And her perspective was probably, dude, I just tore my ACL. I need surgery, all this stuff. And <laughs> I, I probably wasn't a great friend then, right? Um, you know, obviously my ego got in the way because I felt like we were the best team. And obviously that happened. And then I was emotional. And, you know, I just had such a tight relationship with the CrossFit HQ team that it allowed me just access that maybe other athletes wouldn't have had. And, you know, I just, I wish I'd, I had handled that situation differently, but as a competitor, all I want to do is win. And looking back on it, what I needed to do from a leadership role, because I was playing a leadership role on that team, mm-hmm. is like, just take a step back, just take a deep breath and be like, dude, you know, like, am I detaching from my ego, my emotion, my perspective? And I wasn't. I didn't even know about that theory back mm-hmm. then, but <laughs> looking back on it now. What would you have done? What would the call have been? Like, okay, hey, we're out. Like, the call would have been, um, I, w- I would have regrouped us. I would have sat down and said, okay, what are our options? We would have been told our options and we would have done the best we could given our options mm-hmm. and not have been emotional about it. Not have tried to call Dave Castro 40 times. Not have tried to you know, b- uh, you know, know, change the rules for us or whatever. I, I, so you just freaked out. Yeah. And a lot of that had to do with just like the current, it was just, Anyway, it was it, looking back on it. It's funny how your how your perspective shifts as you get older, mm-hmm. and but that that was a defining moment. That really was, and it was a defining moment for Miranda because she went on to go create a beautiful business. Had we have won, I don't know if she would have started that. And secondly, had we had won, we would have probably started training for 2016 hard, and that was when Ava got diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So I would have been out anyways. So it's it's a very interesting. Um, Mm-hmm. That, I mean, it's just, yeah. yeah. Well, what business did Miranda go into? She started a company called Street Parking, which is um, for, you know, at, at home garage gymmers. Um, primarily, she, she a lot of her base is with women, mm-hmm. and she's she's just done amazing. And what where do people find that if they want to check out Street Parking? Is it streetparking.com or something? Uh, I believe so. Okay. But you can just look up. Just look up Miranda yeah, Street Parking. Yeah. I think her IG is Fearless Miranda. Okay. Um. Yeah, you just mentioned 2016. You know, this is kind of what I opened the book with, and uh, or open the podcast with, and it's what the book opens with. I, I got a little excerpt here. I want to read from the book. Um, 
you're talking about the fact that you're tracking you know Ava every day you're kind of watching and and paying so much attention to her health and her and her kind of vital signs and all that stuff and you say this um, one day we saw a shift we noticed a very subtle change in Ava's vital signs and without hesitation called the doctrine unfortunately it quickly became clear that this was not the good kind of shift what had started very subtly turned into a sharp severe drop in blood pressure with a quick turn of his head, the doctor momentarily shifted his attention from Ava and looked at us. Even before his spo- he spoke, his eyes made clear to us the seriousness of the situation. His words were clear and direct. If Ava's blood pressure doesn't come up in the next two minutes, I want to prepare you for what will happen. I will call a rapid response team. We will need to act without interference. It will be a lot of people. I gripped Ashley's hand firmly. Two minutes later, he called in the rapid response team and 20 emergency medical clinicians rushed into the room. I've never been more frightened in my life. The lead doctor to whom I will forever be grateful spoke with clear yet undeniable urgent direction to the entire team. Each member had a specific responsibility. It was the most inspiring expression of teamwork I have ever seen. Ashley and I could only stand back and watch. We held our breaths, not speaking a word. It was obvious that our daughter's life was not in our hands, but theirs. We quite, we quite simply, after all our watching and reading and waiting, had no control. After what seemed like a lifetime of intense discussion, followed by quick action, infusion, and medication, the tone changed. Ava was rolled out of the room and taken to the ICU, but the frantic pace had noticeably slowed. The tone went from life and death to one of optimistic concern. I remember looking at Ashley as we went upstairs asking, did you hear how their voices changed? She responded, yes, definitely. The whole situation only lasted 10 minutes, but in that 10 minutes, we experienced nearly every human emotion possible. That to me, you know, when I read that, I, I was, it's, um, emblematic of what you're going through as a dad the whole freaking time yeah you know that's like one moment but there's also weeks that are like that there's also 20 seconds that are like that like it's a nightmare yeah and you know i mean it's 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 tough you know because when you read that it just brings me back to that exact same situation but it's the greatest gift the crossfit games ever gave me was the ability to create a mindset where i had to go find a coach to learn how to use positive self-talk to learn how to understand what's in my control versus out of my control. And those were skills that trans transferred, not only on the field, but in real life. And I'm very grateful for the CrossFit Games for that. And the positive self-talk thing is just so important. And in this particular case, like it was just so heavy. It was so heavy. It was so bad. It was, it was just, it was just a lot. You know, we had my wife and I spent months and months and months in the hospital. And, you know, we we've we've gone through our fair share of not that good of times that was that was the worst that was the worst because it was like really clear to me that like something was really really wrong and all i could grasp onto was the lessons that i had learned through overcoming adversity in the gym which i think why everybody should work out and then also on the competition floor which was you got to find the small nuggets you got to find something to hold on to and you got to understand what's in your control what was in my control at that moment was obviously supporting my wife and supporting my daughter the best I could, but a lot of it was out of my control and I can't focus on that. I need to focus on the, the positive, which was the, the tone change. And we decided to connect on that. You know, Ash and I, we connected on that and it, it, it helped us. And we ended up spending, spending, you know, some time in the ICU and it wasn't uh, ideal. <laughs> so when, when Ava 
gets diagnosed, how long was it from, hey, we're 99% sure that she has leukemia to like she's getting, and did she get both chemo and radiation treatments? Yeah, so not radiation. Um, <clears throat> by the way, I should acknowledge the fact that Ava is now five years out of treatment, so she's yeah. cancer-free. Yeah. I just, for anybody listening, it's yeah. like, oh, what's yeah. happened? Um, when she was diagnosed that night, they knew it was 100%, right? But I'm trying to grasp onto whatever I can, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, are you sure? She's like, I'm 99.9% sure. I'm like, are you sure though? <laughs> like, of course she's sure. Mm-hmm. Um, they end up doing a bunch of blood tests, et cetera. So the way that it works with leukemia is for, for, for women, for girls, it's a two and a half year treatment plan. For boys, it's a three year treatment plan because statistically the, the leukemia comes back in the testicle. And so for two and a half years, you go through this treatment plan. And uh, it definitely is like, it's pretty aggressive during the phases, right? And it's a, it's chemo. Yeah. So she's chemo. taking medicine that's going to like hurt her to the point where she's barely getting by to try and kill the cancer. Yeah. And it's just a nightmare for you. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, uh, luckily, you know, there's a different immunotherapies and different things that are coming out, which we try and stay up on. But um, yeah, she was, she was given a lot of chemotherapy, a lot. And she was given a lot of steroids. And the steroids were the worst part, for sure. How come? Dude, it just made her a different girl, you know? Like, I, I truly feel at this moment in time, like where I'm sitting right now, I, I feel more blessed than ever before. I just, I'm so blessed because our business got crumbled um, crippled by COVID and now we're out and Ava and our family is just thriving. They're, they're, they're just amazing. And during that time of steroids, it was just very difficult, you know, to have your kid tell you, like speak to you in such a way that like just broke my heart, man, you know? And it, it was, it was a lot, it was a lot to overcome, but you know, there was a light at the end of the tunnel. So are they giving them, are they, were they given her steroids or do they give people in the situation steroids because they're taking such damage from the chemo that they have to try and build them back up type thing? Yeah, I think that's part of it. You know, and then all of a sudden they have something called moon face where like their face looks like absurdly wide. Obviously they lose their hair, which by the way, you know, it's interesting. When Ava first lost her hair, it was was more traumatic I think for us than it was for her Mm -hmm. because she was, she was four turning five. So she was, in my opinion, like, and I wrote this in the book, I believed that if someone was gonna be diagnosed with leukemia, I don't ever wish it on anybody, but it, for us, we were as well prepared as we could have been. We were financially in a good position, fitness was on point, and we had a family support system that was just unparalleled, unmatched. And you know, when it, when it came to the age, it was a good age because Abe was able to understand a little bit what was going on, but not understand fully the gravity. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it reinforced how good humans are, man. When you would walk around with a kid that's bald, who people look at them like, oh, that kid has cancer, like they're sick. You you saw a side of humanity that was that was pretty magical. I mean, the things that people did for us were were very touching. Now, when you're on this two and a half year cycle, uh, it's not the whole time, right? You're doing cycles, like you'll do six weeks of chemo where you're getting crushed, or is it the whole time? It's basically the whole time. No so kidding. there's different there's different flows. Like there's like induction phase and and this phase and that phase and there's different types of chemos. Like one was called the red devil. And you knew that when that was going to come up, it was going to be nasty. The and other you do ones, it multiple times, red devil? Well, the red devil, I think only happened once, but like Vin Christine, for example, is a very popular chemotherapy. What that would happen. Vin Christine? Yeah. That would happen many times. The reason why it's a, the, the reason why chemotherapy is, is the reason why kids get so sick. So when you look up the statistics of ALL leukemia, statistically, we were in a pretty good spot. Meaning like, if you look at it, the, the survival rate is pretty high. 
as long as you pay attention as a parent, as long as you're on point, you know, like I was advocating for my daughter every single day because we were her, we had, that was in my control, right? What was in my control is advocating. But the reason why we would be in and out of the hospital so much is that when you look at her blood markers, if her ANC dropped below a certain amount, it meant, it meant that she was more susceptible to getting sick. And so as soon as her blood markers dropped below 500, you had to be in the hospital until they got out of that. Because if they, especially if they trigger a fever, you had to go in immediately because your body was fighting something. And it might take you a week to get out, might take you a day, might take you a month. It just depended. So that's why I'm very grateful for our family because they were they stepped up big time and watched our son. Yeah, no, there's an awesome section of the book um, where you talk about basically as soon as this happens, you call your team together oh, yeah. and you just say, I'm, I'm going to take care of my daughter and you guys got it. And you call your dad and like, hey, I'm going to take care of my daughter. And he's like, well, we got this. And basically the, su- the support that you're talking about was coming from both your work relationships that you had and your family relationships. And you were able to really just like focus on taking care of Ava. That's a huge piece and it's a, a beautiful part of the book for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think people need to work hard, right? They need to work hard on their relationships. They need to focus on them. They need to work hard at their work to build a hedge, to become so successful, so you know um, important to the company that, that they wanna help you in return. And, and obviously with your, your family, just holding strong relationships and, and having your fitness on point. You know, your fitness has to be there. Every day when we were in the hospital, I'd go to the parking garage, I'd bring my truck out there and I'd put a bunch of weights and I'd hit a hard workout. I had to stay within six minutes of the, the room. So if I was running, the furthest I was able to get, okay, like maybe like seven minutes. So the first I was able to get is a mile. Mm-hmm. I would tell myself because when the doctors were doing their rounds, I had to get back in time to be able to talk to the doctor. But I would go out to the garage, or at the parking garage. I'd come back with just energy, enthusiasm. And that's what workouts do. And if you're not training right now, you got to start training, man. Cause you never know when life's going to throw you a curveball. And the best thing you do is is be as fit as possible and work on these other areas. And I was very grateful at the time. The team we had then and the team we have now, I'm blessed to have because I just wrote an email and say, hey, man, I'm out. I don't know if it's going to be for a day, a week, a month, a year, but this is my only priority. That's it. And so I ended up deep diving into cancer research, leukemia research, I wanted to try and take everything that was in my control and try and focus on it. Mm-hmm. How 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 long were the chunks of time that Ava would spend in the hospital? I mean, it, it varied from two days to a week to a month. Mm-hmm. I mean, we spent birthdays, Valentine's. I mean, I remember one time my, my wife and I celebrated Valentine's Day in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it just varied, and then we ended up going back for some stuff. They thought she relapsed. I mean, it's just it's just a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just varied. This is also the time when you started jujitsu, is that right? So yeah, which so when when I so when I found out Ava was sick, I retired from the sport of CrossFit because what I said was like you know you have your business, your family, and your fitness. For me, fitness took on a different lens. I was no longer trying to be the fittest on earth. I was trying to just use fitness as a way to clear my mind. And I found jujitsu. I used to sublease some space to a jujitsu school, and I loved it. It was like human chess. I would watch it. I'd be like, dude, this is badass. I love it. But I couldn't do it because I didn't want to get injured for CrossFit. I did like a one private one time. And so when Ava got sick, I said, I need to find something to clear my mind. I need to find something to to give me an hour where I just, this is like months after she had been sick. And uh, I found jujitsu. And, you know, I created certain protocols around it where, uh, you know, I was, I still had access to my phone. I was still doing this, 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 this. But long story short, I started off with privates 
And then I ended up um, at a place called Heroes, which is in uh, San Jose. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I just moved on. That was like, I've been doing jujitsu now for like seven years, and I absolutely, absolutely find it as a critical component in my life. Were you surprised the first time you got choked out or submitted an arm locked? Were you surprised at all, or did you kind of accept that that's the way things were? Um, I accepted, but you know, we were talking about this a little bit off air. I, I think that especially coming from a CrossFit background, I, I, I didn't realize my own strength. I didn't realize my own ego. And I probably wasn't a great training partner. I probably wasn't. And my advice to my earlier self or anybody who is in fitness and wants to try jiu-jitsu is like, maybe start with some privates, start with some fundamentals, and just like walk in the door and say, my goal is to be a good training partner today. And that's my goal. Because what'll happen is if you're new and someone feels your strength, they're gonna ramp it up. Then you're gonna get scared and you're gonna ramp it up. And then it just turns into this like very non-beneficial training session. Yeah, things can escalate quickly. Very quickly. Especially in the white belt world, which is when you begin jujitsu. You know, if even when someone's a blue belt, they can still ramp it up for sure, but they're gonna be at least a little bit more composed. But two white belts going crazy is I think I, I usually say like the first year, the, your chances of getting hurt in the first year are 10 times greater 100%. than in your probably fourth year. You know, your second year it probably goes down to like 50%. And then in the third year, now you're in a pretty good spot. And like, I mean, w once you've been training for, I don't know, what do you think, seven, eight years? Like, yeah. you shouldn't be getting hurt. You shouldn't be getting hurt. Like, you, look, can shit happen? Yep. You can slip and you can get twisted or you do something that someone didn't expect like you can you can definitely get hurt it's a freaking contact sport but the early days the white belt warriors and having someone like your freaking explosive ass freaking getting crazy that that's definitely a good uh a good time to get hurt and so to your point if people know that they're gonna be you're not being a good training partner and just like anything else in life you you're you're part of a team and you're, you're gonna be able to improve because the people that you work with, not working against them. So being a good training partner, I, I love the idea of putting that as the primary goal. I didn't know what you were gonna say when you were saying that, like, hey, walk in the gym and like, I thought you were gonna say, hey, is to use technique or is to learn the technique. This is actually the best priority I've heard. The priority you go into a gym for the first time is be a good training partner. That should be your goal. And that's a really good place to start. And that means not trying to not tap out, that means not trying to rip people's arms off, that means not worrying about any of that stuff. Cause, man, you get the escalation of white belt warriors, bro, you got problems. Yeah, I just, I, I think I summarized it like that for myself because coming from a CrossFit background, I get a lot of attention from people who wanna try jujitsu. And I just try to remind them like, dude, your goal, just be a good training partner. Because if you just say that, what does that mean? It means focus on the fundamentals, focus on technique, focus on trying to give and receive and, and especially when it comes to training with other belt levels and maybe opposite sex. Like if you're really focused on being a good training partner, I think only good things will happen in the future because it also allows you to train with everybody in the room and not have people not want to train with you because you're not a good training partner. Yeah. And I think that's really important is it, to create a culture of one that we're all trying to rise each other up. And I'm not trying to kill you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's a, there's like a, a counterpoint which people might throw out, which is like, well, if it doesn't work, you know, if I'm not, I wanna give them a realistic training, so if I'm not going as freaking hard as I can, then that's not realistic training. Here's the deal. The, pe the people are learning jujitsu. 
They're not in a, in a street fight. And as you get better, you definitely escalate. I mean, if I'm trying to arm lock Echo, Echo's gonna give me 100% resistance so I can't arm lock him. And if I don't do it correctly, it's not gonna work. That's what we want. But this isn't like, this is after years and years of training. This is after making sure that my technique is good and that his technique to escape is good. Right. So yeah, it's definitely, a, that's probably the, the, the biggest thing to watch out for. Which means though that you guys are good training partners. Oh, for sure. So for example, like if we're rolling, right? We, if I'm rolling at my current level today, like it's much different than it was before. But if, if you and I are trying to, or let's just say you two are trying to roll together, like you are being a good training partner by putting on the, the pressure and he's being a good training partner by not letting you. Yep. Because in, you know what I mean? Because if you want to compete in the future, people aren't just going to give up your arm. Yep. So I think as long as you create that as like the overall theme, that's something I've been reflecting on a lot is like, how can I bring more value to you? And you in turn are going to bring more value to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you really shouldn't be hurting your training partners. And if your training partner doesn't tap, it's one thing to be like, well, you know, Echo should have tapped. That's why he's hurt. It's like, no, actually that's wrong. If Echo's not tapping because he's feeling stubborn or he doesn't want to tap or his ego in the, is in the way, I need to subordinate my ego and be like, all right, I, I, I'm not going to hurt my freaking training partner and I'm going to let this go and we'll carry on. Right. And, and let's face it, we all know. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? No, like when you got caught, when you get yeah. caught, yeah. you're like, we know. Yeah. Hey, you know, have you ever had one of those situations where you're rolling? I was, I was, I was overseas somewhere and I, I dropped it in a gym and I was having some good rolls, right? And I get this guy into a good spot and he's a higher belt than me. And uh, I get him in a good spot. And he's like, okay, let me tell you what to do from yeah, yeah. here. Classic. Yeah, that's <laughs> and a I'm classic. Like, I'm like, dude, I'm like, I'm like, I'm right about to bring yeah. it up. Yeah. That's a classic meme uh, in jujitsu. Yes, that's sir. a very common theme in jujitsu. Is like you get there and you're about to choke them. They're like, you know what you want to do here yeah. is you want to make you you want to put your elbow a little bit there. Yep, there yeah. you go. And then they yeah. tap. And they go, good job. Good job. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad I could teach you there. <laughs> yeah. That's a very uh, common thing. But man, the lessons learned from jiu-jitsu, like if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know about jiu-jitsu because these guys talk about it all the time. But I'm telling you, as a guy who dedicated his life to being the fittest on earth for almost a decade, pivoting into jiu-jitsu has been incredible because something for me is every time I train, uh, when I'm thinking about like a class, when I coach classes, it's can people get a good workout? Can people... Um, learn something new and have a great time. Like, and it, it probably, it, it's in this order. They need to have a great time. Cause if they're not having a great time, they're not gonna come back. They need to go ahead and have a great workout, which is pretty straightforward. And they need to learn something, even something very basic. But when in jujitsu, it unlocks the brain, like earlier on in CrossFit did for me, like I strived for years to hit my 300 pound snatch or my whatever. And I would constantly be refining the techniques. But eventually, you're making 1% gains here and there, or even no gains. Like for me, I'm probably never gonna hit a PR again on an Olympic lift, and that's okay. Because in jujitsu, I could unlock my brain, learn something new almost every single day, learn new threads, new in, new ways to get into different things. And so it's, it's connecting me in three ways. I have a hell of a time doing it. I get to get in a good workout, which I also think you should be doing CrossFit strength conditioning, which is, we could talk about. And then I learned something new every time I'm on the mats. Yeah. Well, I, I, going to that piece, number one, yeah. I mean, Dean Lister will teach uh, he's, he's, an arm lock. He's so funny. He taught me, he'll te he could teach me an arm lock this afternoon. A, a, an arm lock, like from the mounted position, like a bit, and, and I'll learn something. And I'll be like, dude, why didn't you show me that? He's like, I've showed you that a thousand times. But you know, like you're not ready to learn. Um, the, when you said you should do strength and conditioning and jujitsu, this is something I used to get asked a lot. Like almost people 
almost with a little bit of disbelief, like, but do you you still work out even when you, or do you work out on the same days you do jujitsu? I believe that's a little bit of the magic, honestly. I think that's a little bit of the magic of being being able to limit the injuries. Because I mm. think if you if you work out all the time, like I never stopped working out. I never stopped working out at all. I always worked out and did jujitsu. Personally, I like to work out before I do jujitsu. I think that's my that's my preference. Every, some people might have different preferences. That's my preference. I feel like I'm a little bit more fatigued when I go to the gym. I'd rather be fatigued when I'm doing jujitsu. I also feel like I've you know I'm sore, but I'm like I've moved my body already. I've moved my body through space. Yes, sir. Yeah, as someone yeah, might say. Yeah. Hell yeah. So I feel like a, a little bit warmed up. You know, I might I, I might be tired. I might have DOMS. Right. Dom. There's, <laughs> there's nothing worse than DOMS. Um, you know, when you're you can't even you're getting up and down off the mat, you got DOMS. That's that's painful. But I'd rather be there than get done with a hard jujitsu training and then go and try and work out. But you were saying that strength and conditioning and jujitsu is a good combination. Yeah, I mean, so you know, it's funny. The first I don't know, I think it was the first time I met you. I finished rolling. I'm like, hey, dude. So Jocko, let me ask you a question. Do you train? Do, like, do you do like CrossFit stuff, strength conditioning stuff, and jujitsu? On this, uh, and and you said to me, you're like, yes, but not the same intensity as you. Yeah. And I walked away. I was like, not the same intensity as me. I'm, I'm like, I'm like sitting there, like, okay. it's like, I'm like thinking to myself, like, okay, what did, what, what, how am I going to reflect, re, you know? And so the way I've kind of like taken what you said mm-hmm. and is this idea of RPE. So well, just real quick, I meant that when I do jujitsu, I'm not doing it at the same intensity as you. When you're doing jujitsu, like even as a purple belt. You have more white belt in you than you have black belt in you at this time. So you're when you train, it's a much harder workout for you than it is for me. And look, and and you've seen me train. You have been, you've seen me train a thousand times. I mean, when I'm done training, I'm dripping in sweat. Right. I'm very tired. I don't know how many calories or whatever I would burn, but it's a hard training session. I am definitely tired. I can just about guarantee I'm not as tired as you would be after you know, a session because I am going to be using more technique. I'm going to be in positions where I can relax more. I'm going to be in spots where I know how to avoid um, needing to put a lot of strength into a move. So yeah, I definitely trained jujitsu, but I mean, I like at that time I only watched you, but yeah. then like I trained with you in, in at camp in Maine and I'm like, yeah, you know, we get done. You're obviously a, in better shape and stronger and faster than I am. But you're also breathing harder at yeah. the end of a five-minute round. Why? Because you're working harder because I have better technique in jiu-jitsu. Just like if we did when you and I were like sprinting, you're stronger, faster than me. I, you're beating me, and I'm still breathing harder than you. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the way it works. So, yeah, just to clarify that, yeah. when when you're the better you get at jiu-jitsu, and, and, well, and that's why the strength conditioning is so important. But yep. anyway, I'll yep. let you finish your thought well, I was going to say this. I... I with, with MMA fighters, when I was training a lot of MMA fighters, I was always encouraging them to train jiu-jitsu every single day. And some of them got it, some of them didn't. The guys that got it were the guys that realized that a training session in jiu-jitsu doesn't have to feel like you just did you know, a Fran uh, pyramid, right. right? It should, right. as a matter of fact, if you do it right, it actually kind of shouldn't feel like that. Are, are there days when you're getting ready for ADCC yep. and I used to train Dean for ADCC. He'd feel worse than a Fran, a Fran ladder. He'd feel terrible. Like we'd completely deplete all of his energy. That's that's and same with MMA fighters. But you should be able to do jujitsu 
where it's almost no impact on on your metabolic capacity 15 minutes later where you're like oh if i had still had to do something like if i got done doing a fran ladder right and then someone said hey now we want you to do uh, whatever, some, some, you, we want your buddy carry echo right, up this hill. Right. I'd be like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but if I got done rolling on, on a normal day, now look, if it's a Sunday open mat and all my psycho friends are there and it's like a bloodbath, cool. I, I might be a little bit tired. But on a normal jujitsu day, when I got done training jujitsu last night, if someone's like, hey, you got a buddy carry echo up this hill, I'd be like, cool, it's going to suck. But I, it wouldn't suck because of jujitsu at all. It would just suck because Echo's heavy and that's a big hill type thing. So you should be able to train jujitsu in a way where it's it's not negatively impacting your, your strength and conditioning kind of at all, K- kind of at all. Now, look, like I said, are there times if you're competing? Look, when I competed all the time in jujitsu, it was like we trained hard where you're leaving tired. Yeah. You're leaving you're, you're working really, really hard. That's part of it too. But a normal, you should be able to supplement your life with jujitsu at a level where it's not making you excessively fatigued for everything else that you're doing in your life. Well, and I had to take that to heart, right? So what I did is I went home and I said to myself, how did I take what you said to me? Mm-hmm. And I didn't take that as like, you know, Jocko doesn't train hard. I took it as maybe I need to regulate my intensity on the mats and in the gym better. So I thought about RPE, rate of perceived exertion. If I'm hitting a 10 every time I roll jiu-jitsu and then I'm trying to hit a 10 every time I'm doing CrossFit, I'm just too fatigued, it's, it's too much. I need to back that off. But you brought up a really good point. I think this is this is something I think we need to talk about more in jiu-jitsu. So I've been doing it for seven years. I feel like at this point I've been exposed to a lot of the best guys in the world. Not all of them, but some of them. And when I look at them, they're they're they're, they're, they're so in shape, right? Like, I mean, you look at the all the top guys, right? Andre, like this last type, uh, fight on, between Andre and, and Gordon, right? Mm-hmm. You look at the two of them. They're just monsters. And they are doing a lot of strength conditioning, I think, outside of the mats. But I bring up this question of, like, if you're really good in your gym and you're one of the best guys, how often, if ever, do you redline? And how often should you be redlining? And I think that's where off the mats comes into play. So meaning if you're like really technically sound like you, the better you get at jujitsu, the worse it allows you to be at your strength conditioning because you're so technically advanced. Mm -hmm. And that's cool and that's great until you meet someone who has the same technical advantage. Then it goes down to your strength conditioning. Mm -hmm. So my recommendation for for jujitsu and CrossFit is to do both, Mm -hmm. right? So I do it almost every day and then I add in jujitsu three times a week and the reason why I think that it's so important. Rookie numbers. Yeah. <laughs> and, but but, but it, it, it brings up this really valid point that like, if I could take you off the mat and match exceed your heart rates that you're getting on the mats, add in some strength work, add in some stamina work, now I could redline you on an air bike or hill sprints and that is gonna only increase your ability to perform when you meet someone on the mats, yeah. like one day, 100%. right? 100%. I had a guy one time, uh, I caught him a submission, tapped him, and he he says, uh, you never would have got that on me if you weren't so strong. Oh, dude. And I said, that's why I lift, mother. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's the truth, you know? Like, it's it's 100%. You're gonna, you wanna be in, in good shape. The other thing is, you're gonna want to do workouts because they will work out parts of your body that you don't use regularly yes. in jujitsu. 
Like if you're doing gi jiu-jitsu, like your grip's gonna be good, right? So you're gonna get a good, you probably don't need any extra grip work, but how often do you get this particular like sweep where you gotta put pressure with your, with your, uh, your, your right leg a little bit and you're gonna pull with your whatever muscle and it's sort of more like a clean, yes. right? Even though you're on the floor and you're grabbing a guy and you're pulling him, that's like a clean that you just did. Well, you, you don't do heavy cleans on the mat. You don't get to do that movement 28 times. So when you get to do it in the gym, you're like, boom, oh, I got some, I'm gonna build up my strength. So when I do do that, execute that movement on the mats, it's gonna be good. You know, I've been um, training some of the guys at Coyoteras for a while and, mm-hmm. and Mason Fowler actually has a fight coming up depending on when this is released with uh, Gordon Ryan. That's a big, oh, it's, dang. it's gonna be a cool fight, right? It's in December, it's Gordon. It's a UFC fight pass, uh, Gordon Ryan and Mason Fowler. And Mason told me something last week. He's like, hey man, I'm just letting you know, since we started training there, this is, it's been, probably been like two years. Mm-hmm. He's like, I haven't had to have the same major injuries I was worried about before so good. because you've been helping me strengthen all these areas. And I think there's like, it's counterintuitive, right? I've heard people say, oh, I tore my ACL. I never am gonna squat again. It's like. Well, what if life demands you have to squat? What if you want to sit on a toilet and get back up again? There's just this, it's so counterintuitive to say I I injured, now I'm gonna never use it again. Instead, let's spend time strengthening up the muscle groups to support that joint. Say you could be better prepared outside the gym. And ultimately that's where my journey has led me to over all these years. Like what can I do in the gym to help me perform on the mats and outside the gym? Mm -hmm. Yeah. so everybody train jujitsu and work out. That's that's the basic concept. Echo Charles, you support this protocol. Yes, sir. I do. You put you you put more focus on you're very good at resting too. <laughs> He's got bodybuilding. I monitor the rest, yes. You, you sure. definitely no, no, like legitimately I'll say like, hey, are you training tomorrow? And you'll be like, No, I I already lifted or something like that. You say that to me. Yeah. And and that's because you don't you are Focused on making sure you get to recover from your workouts. Yes. I mean Echo's pretty jacked. Have you when back in the day when you were competing? Yeah. Would you were you following the same protocol? Okay, so not to get into a whole long thing. So uh there 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 are many like little approaches and you know you can focus on this, focus on that or whatever. And if I want to do a comparison to you, you're it seems like it anyway. It seems like your approach to like working out, fitness, capability, all that stuff. It was like anywhere, anytime I'm ready to go kind of a thing. Mm. I don't care if I'm level 10 ready, or level 9, level 8, but I will be ready. Mine was a little bit more towards the other side of the spectrum where it's like I want to be level 9 and 10 ready. And if I'm not, I got to I gotta basically be mm. in a situation to be level 9 and 10 ready to, to do whatever it is. Is this even a train jiu-jitsu? to know but it's all it's all part of the the whole training system uh-huh. see what i'm saying so okay so you know how you'll be like yeah if i'm not feeling good i'll still go train and get mm-hmm. the best i can okay cool and i'm like hey if i'm not feeling good uh, let me rest so when i go train i can get the most out of a level 10 workout mm-hmm. you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. rather than you know a level eight kind of workout or level seven six level because you feel the same way as i do like jujitsu shouldn't impact where you're like, well, yeah. I, I did jujitsu today. I can't. I'm not gonna squat because I did jujitsu, yeah. or I or I squatted, so now I can't do jujitsu. Right, right. So, and it's gonna depend on the day that you ask me that or whatever. So it could be if I'm focusing on like the <laughs> the lifting part of it, or it'd be like, hey, I don't have that plan for the workout today. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit mentally, since my approach is like, okay, this is my rest. I'm focusing on my rest, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Even though, do I need the rest in that specific day? Is that gonna throw off the whole thing? Probably not. 
But in a way, I guess you could look at it as I've committed to the the rest you part see, of it. You that strongly committed to rest yeah. sometimes. It's part of the system, the sir. Yes. Hey, wow. That's the best way. I've never heard anybody refer to it like, hey, I've made a commitment. I've committed, <laughs> I've committed to rest. <laughs> I say recovery, but yeah, whatever, whatever you got you to gotta go. But... But that is a different approach is what I'm saying. So like, and I've always been like this and for better or worse, like where if, if I'm like, Hey, I'm like really tired right now. And I know I have to go level 10 in this workout. Like let me, I'll do this workout tomorrow. Cause I'll get, I can get level uh, 10 tomorrow today. I'm only going to get like a six. And it'll be kind of like a wasted workout because yeah. if I do the workout right now, tomorrow's another day, given the workout I have today. Yeah. You know? but you and I talked about this too. Like you shouldn't dread your workouts. Yeah, and a lot has changed since we had that talk. To be honest with you, and Wait, as in you which get way? older, because yeah, we were talking, we were talking at, at camp just mm-hmm. about a bunch of stuff, and he he was like, "Hey, your workout shouldn't stress you out." And my workouts kind of stressed mm-hmm. me out a little bit because of that reason too. Because it's like there's certain, I would say, pretty pretty much every workout I have to go like PR level mm-hmm. attempts, you know. And I'm not saying one rep max necessarily, but if I'm doing like a set of 15, if I'm doing five sets of 15, that first set, like if I don't get my standard or a PR, it's like I've literally felt a loss that day. Mm -hmm. And to the point where it kind of does stress me out. Like if I'm like, shit, did I drink enough water before this workout? Mm -hmm. I better drink some more water, you know, like, and it does actually stress me out. It doesn't give me like anxiety level stress or nothing, but it's like, it is like an added like enemy in the room kind of a thing. And he was like, Jason was like, Hey, they shouldn't stress you out. You should just go in there like benefiting essentially the workout for the sake of the workout. Like a workout benefits you mm-hmm. regardless of the numbers you put up or didn't put up kind of a thing. And I was like, huh, that's a good way to approach it. Although when you're younger, those things kind of, I think, mean more to you mm-hmm. anyway. And then when you get older, you're more mature about it. And it's like, okay, yeah, this shouldn't stress me out. Like I'm a healthy person. That's really what's important. Not how strong my shoulder press is, you know, kind of right. a thing. Yeah. So, I mean, things change, but that's, that's how I've always approached it. So sure. if you're like, yeah, you, you can't just throw in an extra 10 sets. That's mm-hmm. not part of this program right here. Cause I'm trying to optimize this stuff. So you mm-hmm. can't just throw in, oh yeah, you're training right now. I was like, no, cause they train here and it's going to throw off the whole system. So but even saying? though I'm asking you about jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I think mentally, I just associated all yeah. together. I like think you're kind of one of. The, I think you. Yeah, I think you have your plan, yeah. and you don't like to deviate yeah. from your yeah, plan. Yeah. I yeah. think that's and basically what it boils down to. That is it, and I and I basically explain like, like why that is. Why I'm trying to search my brain. Like, why am I so committed to my plan? Mm-hmm. Because deviations from the plan can still make the plan remain effective, mm-hmm. but for some reason, yeah, it's yeah. like I'm less comfortable deviating. But you used to train a lot more jujitsu. Yeah, used to train seven days a week. Yeah, because that's like when I cared about like, you know. Well, you don't care about jujitsu anymore. Not as much, no. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I care about jujitsu in and of itself, Mm -hmm. but like the fact that I got like two days of training in one week versus six or seven. No, I don't care about that as as much. much. No, and even the fact like. I think when you get older, that's natural. You know, yeah. the fact that like, okay, I got tapped out by three people today versus like zero, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, you care way less about that later on. I think, I think in my experience, okay. but with certain individuals, it can vary text, for sure. Text for me sure. in the future. <laughs> yeah. Let me know how that goes. Yeah. If that I mean, happens for you, you know, the goals uh, change, right? And I, I'm sure your goals have changed too. Like, and, and for you, it's like a workout should enhance your day. A workout should enhance your life and your day. And if it's not, 
then you got to reframe the way you look at it and understand the why behind it. Like, why am I doing this in the first place? If it's to make me a better husband, a better dad, to show up more, to be able to go run, jump, climb, like, what is my why? And is this workout in alignment with it? So for example, if your why is to be jacked, to look the part, to be able to go do all these different things in jiu-jitsu, whether you get 15 reps or 10 reps, it doesn't really matter. You're still going in there, you're clearing your mind, you're showing up better when you leave. And I think that that's what I reflect on because I've had to evolve. You know, 10 years ago, it was setting PRs and and that was my goal. And it was an extreme case. Now, earlier today, I was in the hotel. I got after my workout. Dude, I was sweating my butt off. I felt great. I left there, fired up, charged up. I walked here. Dude, I'm feeling great. But that, it's just evolved over the years, mm-hmm. but my why has changed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so once again, train jujitsu and work out. That's, that's <laughs> confirmed, a, right? There, there's this idea that um, this guy Tim, Tom, Tim, the engineer guy. Anyway, he he said he was talking about his dad, and his dad used to be heavy into wrestling and working out mm-hmm. and stuff. And I forget if the dad said this or he said this because he watched his dad kind of do this. Where similar to kind of what you're talking about, where like you know once you get injured, sometimes you're like, well, I guess I'm not doing that anymore. You know, mm-hmm. and same thing with like those hired like let's say a PR approach where it's like you're trying to do your get your yeah. best lifts every lift. So after a while, those best lifts, the numbers start to go down a little bit. So that can easily lead you to think, well, let me not necessarily strive for those because I'm older now, you know, Mm -hmm. and you essentially let let those um, that like you slip, essentially, like you, you, you. Actively you lower the standard. Lower your own standard. Yeah. Exactly right. Actively, where mm-hmm. you allow it to happen, like consciously, you know. Where so I think that was that that was a big part of my stress too. Where I'm like, shoot, I'm not getting this these numbers for the reps I'm, I used to get. So yeah, it'd be easy for me to be like, eh, no big deal. I'm getting older, or it could be like, no, I'm gonna keep fighting for this thing. But the more that that would happen. And there's all kinds of different reasons, but the more that that would happen where I wouldn't get the numbers, it would stress me out. Like I'm freaking slipping and I'm, you know, so that would be part of the stress. Mm. But at the same time, it's like, there's way more to it than that, you know? Well, it's it's going to naturally happen, right? Like as you get older, things are going to change. And so your perspective on it has changed. Like, for example, when I finished competing in cross, I'm like, dude, I am always going to be able to clean and jerk 315 pounds. Always. That was like my mindset. And now like I could barely clean 315 pounds. And then I'm going to, you know, five years from now, I might barely be able to clean 225. But I I have to keep reframing in my mind, like, what is, like, as long as I'm accomplishing my goals outside the gym, I'm good. Because otherwise, you're chasing a ghost that's going to be, you're chasing something that's just going to stress you out for a lifetime. Like, I'll never be able to, when I'm 50, I'm not going to be clean and jerking 315 pounds. So I put unrealistic goals on myself and that's just going to set me up for failure. Yeah. yeah. And that was, that was really the value that I got from it because let's say at the end of the day, it's, it'll come as no surprise. It's going to be a balance, you know, because you, and you have to be honest with yourself where, where it's like, Hey, am I backing off on these numbers? Because yeah, I don't have to like put in that kind of work anymore. Or is it like, Hey, let me embrace the things that I can do, right. still do my best and accept like a certain level of honest acceptance that like, hey, this is the reality of it. And I'm not going to be a competitor level. I'm not a competitor anymore. But at the same time, I'm not going to be a slacker anymore because sometimes it's like an excuse to slack, you know, mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm older. I got a family now, you know, so yeah. I don't have to work out. You right. still can. That's... You still totally can. But you don't because you use it as an excuse. So I was trying to it's like a weird balance between those two, you know. Yeah. And I think that that you highlighted that you can still go hard 
and not have to be stressed about not getting the numbers kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah. And that clicked with me. I, when people get injured, they'll all say like, oh, what do you do? How do you, what do you do when you're injured? And I, I have a real, which I think is a simple but good answer, do what you can, right? So, yep. oh, you hurt this arm, cool. Do kettlebell snatches with the other arm, do squats, like to work, start working on those one arm pulps. Like there's a bunch of things you can do when you can't use one arm at all. Yeah. There's a bunch of things you can do when you can't use your knee. There's a bunch of things you could. So there's all the, like you, you hurt your back. You like, I remember I had neck surgery, which mm-hmm. I was like, dude, you know, I'll be back in three days, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, what I didn't know is that when they cut open your neck, the back of the neck, they're cutting through a bunch of muscle there. When they go through the front, there's not much muscle that they cut through, but I had one where they cut through my, the back of my neck. Well, your neck, your your neck muscles are keeping, they're on a hunt, they're on all day long. Every position that you're in, there was like one position that I found laying down where I could put my head a certain spot where I could finally get those muscles to relax a little bit. And so, because you're, it's keeping your head right. balanced. It's like constantly balancing your head. So your muscles are like firing, you don't even know it. They're firing all day long. Well, those were just in agony because they got cut open and sewed back together. But I remember, so I couldn't do anything. And I I freaking got up and I walked down to my garage and I literally walked around in circles for like eight minutes. And I was like, that's my workout. You know, like that's it, that's what I got done. And I could, I was in agony from just my head trying to balance while I was walking. And that was like the day after I got surgery. And then, you know, okay, do what you can. Um, the other thing is, what I think you gotta be careful of is, well, you know, I used to be able to freaking clean 315 and that's my lifetime, that's the standard. And then one day you can't get it. And so you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm not out. doing. I'm not doing yeah. cleans anymore. Yeah. That's that. That happened to me uh, with overhead squats. So I hurt my arm, you know, really bad. And oddly enough, I hurt my arm. My my main training partner of my life, Dean Lister, who's never hurt me before, he was showing a move, and he freaking hurt my arm. <clears throat> he felt terrible about it. I felt angry about it. <laughs> but anyways, it was. I had a. I had to go get a sling because I couldn't. I couldn't handle the weight of my own arm. So for months, I couldn't straighten my arm out and I couldn't lock out. Which I tear your, what, do you know what happened to it? No, because I didn't go to a doctor. I just freaking <laughs> dealt with it for <laughs> months. It up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure it was some kind of a injury. Yeah, <laughs> sure. sounds, sounds safe to say. Yeah, it was an injury. And I heard pops and I couldn't straighten my arm. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure it was, Whatever, and this is the time that he said to me, I didn't know your elbows weren't flexible. And I was like, bro, elbows are bones. They're not flexible. But, so I couldn't lock out, so I could not do anything even close. I couldn't do a PVC pipe overhead. So, you know, so I was sitting there doing like one-handed kettlebell goblet squats, whatever that might be. So I was doing that for for months. And when I finally could straighten my arm out, I, I was like, you know, I tried to like, do the, do the PVC pipe. And I couldn't really get in position because now my mobility had been impacted. And you know, I thought to myself, this is how, this is how it starts. Mm-hmm. This is the beginning of the decay. And if you accept it, it will be a downhill like rush of destruction. And so I just was like, okay, we're starting this, this, the PVC pipe it is. And I started and coming back, coming back. And that's what you, that's what you have to do. You can't let the movements go away. You can't let, you can't lose the movements, even if they're assisted and light and they hurt your ego, you gotta do the movements. And the cool thing is 
you can build them back. You will build them back. It's gonna take persistence, it's gonna take hard work, but you can build them back. Don't submit to the, to, the, to the loss of movements. Keep doing the movements, whatever they are. Learn new movements. You know, there's all that research coming out now that when you learn new things, it's really good for your, for your, for your brain, yeah. right? Instead of just doing this, I have a problem with that. I'm very a habitual person, right? Yeah. So I'll do the same workouts. You know, they'll do the same things for, for months. And I'll be like, oh, you can't keep doing this. You gotta do something else. So I think it's important to remember that, you know, don't keep, do always do what you can. And what, what do you, what's that saying you have about zero? Like don't do well, zero. Never, never get to zero. It's like never zero mentality. Like one thing I just wanted to add to what you're saying is like focusing on what you can do and not what you can't do yeah. is like the immediate mindset shift when you have an injury. Like imagine like with your bicep, what you can't do is X, Y, Z. What you can do is a ton of yep. other stuff. But the idea is like you can never let your momentum get to zero because an object as it's moving, right? If it just keeps moving even a little bit, man, even just a walk, it, 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 it helps you earn your confidence so you can keep moving. But as soon as you stop for a day, a week, a month, it's very hard to get back into that momentum but if you just don't let it stop and you just get in a little walk or you or you do your eight minutes around the garage or whatever it is, that's the key. So it's the never zero mentality that I think is is important with training. Yeah, I have another thing I wrote in Discipline and Freedom Field Manuals. This is a pretty good rule. When you start feeling tired and you need a day off, don't take it today, take it tomorrow. Like, and listen, I'm not saying don't listen to your body yeah. if you're exhausted, but a lot of times, and even if you say, look, I'm really tired today, but I'll take a day off tomorrow if I'm still tired, but today I'm just gonna go there and do something. I'm, you know, maybe I, instead of doing my freaking max squat, I'm gonna go there and do some lighter weights and do a you know higher rep workout so I'm making sure I not get hurt, but I'm still gonna go in there and do it. Yep. And then if I still feel tired tomorrow, Cool. Yeah, take I'll take the day off. I'll eat a steak and take the day off. That's cool. But because it's real easy to, you know, feel tired. And we all know this. All three of us all know this 100%. You were tired. You didn't feel like working out. You considered not working out. You went and did the workout. You felt freaking fine. And you might have yep. even gotten a freaking Great. sick workout. Yep. Yep. Maybe even PR'd. That happens You know, the, 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 the area I think about is like if I'm not feeling it, you have to listen to your body but after your warm up, So that's the way I do it. So like, let's just say it's like, dude, I'm not feeling it. Like I've been traveling or whatever. I'm like, all right, go into the garage, go to the gym, get on the bike. You're on the bike for 10 minutes. If you still don't feel like doing something, chances are you probably shouldn't go too crazy. Yep. Just do a little something and leave. But 99.9% of the time, after you're on the bike for 10 minutes, your body starts getting a little bit warmed up, you'll be ready. Yep, yep. yep. Mobility protocol 17 alpha. Like sometimes I'll get in there and I'm like, well, I'm gonna go do something. And that's what I do. I go in there, I start warming up and I'm like, yo, this is this is not smart. And it's like, okay, cool. You're gonna spend you know a half an hour doing some mobility, doing some kind of something to, to keep moving and not let it get to zero, not let that's your it. momentum get to zero. That's good stuff. Yeah. That that um, field manual protocol. It's a good one. It pays dividends 100%. Mo, mo, and yeah, the hardest part about Jiu-jitsu, the hardest part about lifting, the hardest part about writing, the hardest part about executing a project is walking to the gym, yeah. walking onto the mat, opening the door to the garage. Like It's always getting there and just just freaking turn off your brain and start, go start executing. Dude. Yeah, it's like the cure, because really the problem a lot of the time, and this is part of your whole point, where the, the problem most of the time isn't your physical, 
Like, you know, listen to your body. That's a physical thing. Like, mm-hmm. hey, your body's not working right yeah, now. You're, you're mind, training right? too much, right? But especially when you got other stuff in life going on, bro, that mental momentum is a big thing, you yeah, know? So if you're focusing dude. on this and stressing about this and then frick, now I got to go freaking do squats right now. Like, man, I, I'm not. And meanwhile, so you go in the gym, you haven't warmed up nothing, no adrenaline, no blood flow, you know, whatever. Your mind is still on the freaking book or whatever you guys yeah. do. And so your body is kind of like, hey, we're not really ready for this right now. But your your mind is the thing focusing on the wrong thing. So just and that's a good protocol too. Warm up. I I use the first set. I do okay. I'm gonna do one good set. And if my body is like, hey, we're not doing this, then it's a little bit more of an indicator. But once you get that first set in, it's what like, what do you do then? Like, let's say you get the feeling like you do your first set, and now you're like, yo, I'm, I'm definitely not feeling this. Do you just do a lesser workout? Or you just abandon and try again tomorrow. I've done that before. Yes. I get pissed if I have to do that. I yeah. get pissed if I, I have to I abandon. Oh, I do my work because you know yeah. work, the warm up takes what twenty minutes before you start your yeah. work sets, and now I'm going to abandon this. I'll, yeah. I'm, I, I, I got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm too. What's this? I have the sunk cost fallacy at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm just going to do it, this man. shit I anyways. I can't do that. You know, I just want to say, like, for me, it's like as soon as I walk in the gym or the garage, like literally uh, immediately, I'm on the bike. And I don't do anything else. Like immediately, I might be like on my phone, whatever, mm-hmm. but I'm moving immediately because I just can't. If, even if I sit in there for two minutes, I'm like, dude. <laughs> you know what's even worse than the workout though is the pre plunge, dude. The cold plunge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, before on that one, like you, I'll walk out of my house, and I, I wish like I have my care. I wish I had a camera show me. Like I'll walk out of my house. I'll just like I'm in my mind. It's like I'm getting in this damn thing. I'll start taking off my clothes, like, my box, my, my uh, you know my board shorts, whatever. I'll just walk right in and just get it and get the hell out. But if I sit there for even a second, <sighs> it starts creeping in on me. I don't yeah, I don't real. plunge before I work out. No. Yeah. But you do. You do. No. No. He's no, no. I'm just saying the in, mental state before oh, a plunge versus the mental state oh, before yeah. a workout. He's comparing Dude, the two. I, I I can't like. I, I was inspired this one time. I was at the beach, and this guy comes to the beach, starts walking in Santa Cruz. I watch him. He starts walking. He does not skip a beat. He mm. takes off his clothes, just like gets to his boxers, whatever, walks in the ocean, turns around, and walks back. I'm like, dude, that's the mentality. As <laughs> yeah. soon as you stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't want to You don't want to stop. I have that. Like Every once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll go. Because when you're talking about like a workout stressing you out, for me, like when it when it's like kind of squat season and everything, and and, and I'm just like yeah, yeah. those some of those squat workouts. I will warm up for a really really excessively long time, like an idiot. Just like I don't want to start this first. Yeah. Set. I know it's gonna boil down to, and I'll be like stretching and getting out the mobility ball and freaking getting out the this. <laughs> and, trying to get primed. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a lie. And what I realize though is. I always tell myself like, okay, you know, just start your watch because once you start your watch, it's going to be over in this amount of time. Yeah, yeah, and right. That's all there is to it. Nothing can stop. You're going to have to do it anyways. So just freaking shut up and press go and let's do this. So have you done the twenty rep back squat program? Yeah, dude. <laughs> I have a modified one of that that I that I did where I would do. This is this is probably some kind of an ethical violation in the world, <laughs> but I would do that. I would do three sets with twenty minutes of rest. So I would do 20 rep squat, lay on the floor for 20 minutes, get up, do it again, lay on the floor for 20 minutes, get up, do it again. And that was just, it was, there's times when I would be doing that where I would legitimately like want to, I'm I'm serious, I would want to cry. (laughs) And I would also, 
I would be saying to myself like I don't really care if I'm strong I don't really like it doesn't mean anything this doesn't this is meaningless like what am I trying to prove like this doesn't matter you don't have to do like I would be having those kind of conversations that's the only thing in with everything I've done in my life, that's the only time where I've been like, mm, "This, you probably don't need to do this right now. Like, there's no reason for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I've done a lot of stuff where it's like, death, I could die. Where it's like, oh, I could die. And I've never had a thought like, you know, you don't need to do this. No, I've, yeah. I've never even thought that way. <laughs> but but the 20 rep squats. 20, 20, 20. Dude, yeah. for anybody listening, though, if you are going to get into the 20 rep back squat program, uh, do once you get up to heavier loads, I mean, those reps ranges could take you up to like three or four minutes with that bar on your back. Yeah. Just be aware of it. Um, it's a lot of load for a long time. You have to make sure you stay engaged the whole time. Yeah, it's 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 very very difficult, and especially like rep. I would I would always feel like when I got to thirteen, I could see the end. Yes, like you know, but <laughs> it's like nine nine to fourteen. Yeah, you're yeah. like, oh my god, those yeah those yeah. nine to thirteen or something like that. Cause you're not sure if this is worth like what you're doing. Like you're wondering. <laughs> you start questioning life. Like, you yeah. know, you're saying to yourself, ten is pretty good. Yeah. Like I could just get to ten, and we could kind of call it. Yeah. Maybe I can break this up into two. All Solid kinds of out. little mental arithmetic that you're doing to freaking try and get out from underneath that thing. But that is uh, super squats. Yeah, super squats, bro. Um, you know, check out super squats. That's that's the book that give you will give you the guide on on the twenty rep squat workout. And the eating protocol. Oh, the gallon of milk a day? Yeah. Dude. <laughs> I knew some people who did that. For, the longest mm-hmm. I've heard is a week. Uh, to drink a gallon of milk a day and do the 20 rep back squat program. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's twice a week. Mm-hmm. Um, longest I heard is a week with a gallon of milk a day. Mm-hmm. Whole milk. That's a lot of milk. That person's getting large. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're getting it. The, the, the thing, though, that, that 20 rep squat, like what it releases into your body. Oh, what man. your body does to try and cope, to try and cope <laughs> with this scenario. It is the time under tension. And you know, when you think about training protocols, like your body needs to be stimulated in such a way, like the effective dose is one that stimulates your body in such a way that says, wow, I want to create an adaptation. That was very difficult. I need to get fitter. And that's why CrossFit I think has done so well is that it, 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 it highlights intensity. Now you can go overboard, but when you highlight intensity, your body says, oh my gosh, I want to create adaptation. The same thing happens with time under tension and 20 or back squat. Your body's just such under fatigue and tension that it then creates a strong adaptation from it. So yeah. that's why it's beautiful. And what's the percentage? Like, there's some percentage when you're doing a squat, like the amount of muscles that are engaged in your body oh, dude. is like the largest percentage of muscles that you can get engaged in, in your. I guess if you did overhead squats, right? Um, that might be more, or maybe like a, a a clean and jerk. I mean, obviously, yeah. But it's a different kind of. Weight. It's more dynamic. Yeah. It's, it's but overhead squat, you don't get the tension though. So that like over because of the balance, mm-hmm. I mean, you got to be really, really, really good at it. But back squat is like the most stable versus. Well, the overhead squat, if you know how to, if you do it well, the problem with the overhead squats is if your position is not appropriate, you could, you could not load it up enough to create a super strong stimulus. Because yeah, most that's what people, I'm saying. their range like. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And just, I mean, just physically like your shoulders at that in that position is not as stable as the ball bar being on your back. Yeah, but not, you still, I mean, dude, you look at some only lifters, like my best overhead squat was, I think like, um, right below 400 pounds. And that's, 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 that's still a lot. Because yeah, you, it's yeah. a lot. But let's not forget, you still have to get it over speaking. your head. Yeah. So that was the hardest part. You just, uh, back rack, split right. jerk it. 
Right. Yeah. And now you're sitting there like, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and again, yeah, good and impressive. But comparatively speaking, you can't so say like, squat. oh, yeah, you get more. You can get more tension, generally speaking, on an overhead than, mm. a, than a regular back squat. Sure. The idea is to think about like moving a load a long, a long distance and moving it pretty quickly is kind of how you produce a lot of power. And that's where you can see some effective workouts. Oh, for sure. For sure. So get, getting back to <laughs> getting back on track here a little bit. <laughs> 2000, so 2016, obviously you're going through your whole situation with your daughter. 2017, you kind of touched on this and it's in the book as well, like where now you've got, you 2017 you renamed the gym to NC Fit because now you've got other things that you've got going on, right? So you, essentially in 2017, it, you weren't just a CrossFit gym anymore. You had this kind of corporate training and corporate wellness that you're doing, you have other services inside your gyms that are not specifically CrossFit. So you got a lot of stuff and growth. I just wanted to ask you about as you grew, what you said the biggest you got to is 140 people or so. Um, what was the leadership, what, what leadership challenges did you face when you were doing this? Yeah, I mean, uh, many, many. I think that, so when I graduated from college, yes, I got a degree in business management, but I learned a lot from the people that were like, you know, took me underneath their wing uh, at the gym. But when I graduated, you know, in 08, um, I started the company. And from that day, basically forward, I was the boss. I was, I was running the gyms. I was running the business. And I wish I had spent more time developing my leadership skills. I think I learned a lot as I went. I think that I had aspirational aspects of me and I had grit and hard work, but I, I, I think that there was many things I could have done better as a leader to empower others, to, um, be more decisive, um, I, I think that there was just quite a few leadership journeys that I think I could have, if I had, had other people impact me, like for example, I talked about going to the FTX. If I had gone to the FTX before all this, <laughs> that would have been helpful because you're not just leading locally. We're now leading internationally with different cultures, with different languages. And it added a lot of, we expanded. I think, I think we probably, we did what we had to do, but we expanded very quickly. Mm-hmm. And with that came a lot of, you know, I, I think we could have done a better job creating who are we, where are we going, what are we doing, and a shared mission and vision. We didn't do that well enough. And when we rebranded from NorCal Cross NC Fit, my biggest takeaway was that to me, we were still a CrossFit affiliate. It was all the same. I was thinking, well, guys, like we're just branding to be in control of our own destiny. So we're and to be more, um, you know, aligned with what we're offering in the gym. But the the staff didn't see it that way. And I didn't do a good job explaining who we are and where we're going. I just said, we're no longer this, we're mm-hmm. this. I just thought they just assumed we are the same. But what I should have done better as a leader is sat them down, which I ended up doing like six months later, and said, hey, this is who we are, this is what we believe in, these are our core values, this is this. And even since that day, that was like 2017, man, today, more than ever, we now have a shared mission of where we're going, which I, I don't think we did a good job of back then. Right. I just. I just, I took it for granted having the team on the same page. I took it for granted that they were just passionate about CrossFit and helping people, but they weren't necessarily, I could do a better job of them being passionate about our business and where we were going. Mm-hmm. So going into 2018, and this is actually when this book came out. In yeah, like 1819. Yeah. But you had started writing it in 2000. I want to say 2015 or 2016 is when you started writing it. And you kind of got redirected, obviously, 
attention in other places with with your daughter with your business um the book ended up coming out in 2018 and the book you know obviously it's called as many reps as possible but it's it's a book about this philosophy right and you take this philosophy of as many reps as possible which we've touched on a little bit and you make that a philosophy not just for a type of workout but for how you're sort of going through life and that's what the book is the book is a bunch of and I, I've only read a tiny fraction of it today so get the book so you can get the details but the book is a bunch of situations that you were in that you utilized this mentality which is a basically a workout a type of workout mentality but you applied it to other things that you had to do in life business decisions you know get, getting through these uh, terrible situations with your family and getting things back on track so, so you end up applying this, and that's what the book is about. So, I, I wanted to just go through this real quick. Sure. The the actual AMRAP AMRAP mentality and what it means. You say in the book here, the AMRAP mentality is a high performance mindset that embodies five major components. It is the tool I use day in and day out to accomplish goals of both large and small. This mindset is a major contributing factor to the success I've earned in competition and in business. It is also one of the most important approaches my wife and I took when figuring out how to manage Ava's battle with leukemia. I hope you find it as meaningful and powerful in your own life. Here's a short recap of each facet of the AMRAP mentality. Now again, you've already, you introduced these in the beginning and then you give examples, but this is the recap and I just want for people to know, understand these things and how it can help them. So the first one is know your why. Your why is the foundation of the AMRAP mentality. It is the deeper meaning and purpose that drives you. Your why guides your actions and keeps you on course. More than just fuel, a strong why demands intimately knowing and understanding who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Your why may change over time, but one thing remains constant. Without a strong why, you can get lost, distracted, or end up chasing the wrong things. So important to understand deeply why you are doing what you're doing. And again, this doesn't just apply to as many reps as possible, which is what the what the workout is. <laughs> yeah. The workout is as many reps as possible in, in a certain amount of time. You got, you know, whatever the exercise or exercises are, you got this much time, you can do as many as you possibly can. And in order to make that happen in life, you got to know why you're doing it. Uh, next one, focus on what you can control. And you've mentioned this a few times today. In life, business, and competition, things can generally be divided into two categories. What's in your control and what's not in your control. When you boil it down, there are only a few things that are in our control. The good news is these few things are some of the most powerful. Your mindset, actions, reactions, preparation, hard work, perseverance, among other things. When you take your valuable energy and move it toward focusing on what's out of your control, things can go badly and fast. This is a weak mindset. You're at the mercy of other people. When it comes down to it, you will be more successful and happier by focusing on what you can control. Yeah, this is a big one. This is a big one. Um, Probably the biggest one. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. And one thing that I would say I word a little bit different, I think about it a little bit differently, is you say when you boil it down, there are only a few things that are in your control. I always look at it like there's only a few things that are really, truly, completely out of your control. Like most things you can have an impact over. Like, like you can set yourself up and you can control a lot more than people think. Um, you know, one of the examples I give on this is like you're supposed to do a mission and you're going to take helicopters to do the mission. 
and bad weather comes in, so the helicopters can't fly, so you can't do the mission. Well, I have no control over the weather, right? So how can that be my fault? But if you actually look at it like, okay, well, what, what, what can I do? We're planning to take helicopters on this operation. Hey, in case there's bad weather, let's have vehicles on standby. Oh, okay. Now all of a sudden bad weather rolls in and we can still take the vehicles and we can still go do the operation. There's all kinds of situations where if you abandon control, you're giving up something that you could you could almost certainly impact. And then you get to a point there's some things that are legitimately you have no control over, like your daughter getting leukemia. You, you just have no control over that. The only thing you control is how you respond to it. And you know those are the things that you talk about and when you focus on the wrong things and you focus on the things you can't control it's going to drive you crazy yeah and and something that someone can do that's a tangible tangible takeaway from this podcast is obviously what jocko is talking about the way i look at it and i first did this with competition is i would take something that's stressing me out let's just say it's the crossfit games and i'd say i'd i'd take two circles and i'd put on the left in control put on the right out of my control and i'd say List all the things that are in your control. Did I double knot my shoes? How do I eat? How did I warm up? How did I, you know, what music am I listening to? What, all, all those things, right? Tons. Take things that are out of control. What your competitors are doing. What the events are gonna be. Um, the temperature outside, whatever. And take, and then choose, like every day, so I would actually have this like on my refrigerator, choose to focus on the circle on the left. And you could take that for a number of situations in your life, but that was helpful for me in the beginning. Since then, I don't necessarily use that diagram as much, but it was really helpful for me to actually list it out. And it's like, oh, wow, there's a big list that's in my control. Let me, let me, let me pay attention there. Yeah. And you really do see people get driven crazy by things that are out of their control. And it's terrible. And you cannot let that happen. Yeah. But even like the example you just gave, um, uh, Hey, I've got this. I'm I'm doing a competition. The right. time that you put, the time that you freaking passed out from competition. Sure, you, you could have been like, well, you know, I just had a reaction. That's not on me. Instead, you're like, no, I. What can I do to change that? How can I adjust my mentality? How can I make sure this doesn't happen again? Like those are instead of just throwing your hands up, like, well, you know, I, I don't know. I guess it just that's just the way it is. I went too hard, and that's just the way it goes. And I just passed out. Like, no, you you looked at that and analyzed it and said, well, how can I make sure that doesn't happen again? As opposed to just saying that's just the way I am, which would have been a, hey, this isn't in my control. Yeah, it is. Right. Just got to learn how to control it. Hundred percent. Uh, next one. Work hard. Yeah. Hard, smart work is the currency of the AMREP mentality. If you are not ready to put in work or if you're looking for shortcuts, this mindset is not for you. Roll up your sleeves, ditch excuses, start grinding. There's no better way to accomplish your goals than to work really hard. It sounds simple, but a lot of time we need to stop talking and start doing. So let's go. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Check. (laughs) Yep. Check. Uh, shift gears, and this is uh, yeah. something that might take a little bit more explanation, and you cover it really well in the book, but shifting gears in the AMRAP mentality really means being invested and active in the present. When you're at work, be at work. When you're at home with family, be with your family. When you're working out, work out. Don't be one foot in, one foot out. This is the connection between your body and mind. Be all into your current activity, and when it's time to shift gears to the next thing, be all in there too. When you're thinking about one thing but doing another, you will not achieve optimal results. Yeah, so this one really hits home for me. So the way I like to look at the AMRAP mentality is I like to look at it like riding a bike. You need to be present and focused when you ride a bike. If you're not, you're gonna tip over. You need to work hard, you need to pedal, and then depending on the terrain, you might need to switch gears based on the hill. 
When I think about my day, I think about it in terms of switching gears. So for example, I got up pretty early, I went and worked out. When I'm there, I'm AMRAPing, I'm present, I'm focused. I'm not thinking about this, I'm thinking about that. Now I, I'm here, I'm only here with you guys. You don't see me on my, not that I would, but I'm not distracted on my phone, I'm not thinking about business, I'm just here with you guys. After we're done, I'll switch gears again to something else. And so the way I like to segment my day is, you know, in the morning I'll train with my kids, then I'll switch gears when they go to school to business, then I'll switch gears to train, then I'll switch gears. And the one foot in, one foot out mentality was causing a lot of, you know, the, I, I wrote this in the book, but like my wife and I we were walking down the street one day. I'll never forget the look she gave me. And she's strolling our daughter. And at the time, like I was competing professionally, we were opening internationally, I just had a lot on my mind. And I was thinking about walking on my hands the CrossFit Games. And she asked me a question. I just remember looking at her and saying like, I just like, I have no idea what you just said. And I remember the look on her face was like, not one of upset, but just one of like, she was just disappointed, right? And I said to myself, like, I gotta get my stuff together. Like if I'm gonna be walking with my wife and daughter, I need to be present and focused here because what was happening is I was taking calls with Asia and hitting assault bike intervals. Like I wasn't doing, I was not reaching my potential in any area because I wasn't optimizing that specific area. And that's what switching gears is. Yeah, it's a, uh it's prioritize and execute what we call prioritize yep. you got to focus on what you're doing right now and you got to focus your resources on that if you're trying to do three four things at the same time you're going to fail at all of them and it's going to be a disaster uh the last one is reevaluate yeah moments of reevaluation in the amrap mentality are those times when you need to take a step back to re-examine your why and your focus these are major milestones and they usually occur during usually occur around big changes. Having the ability to reevaluate is essential and shows a tremendous amount of self-awareness. Over time, your goals and your why may change and that's okay. It's important to stay connected to the world around you and not stay locked into something that no longer is right for you. As the saying goes, timing is everything. It's no different in the AMRAP mentality. Your why when you're 20 may be very different than your why at 30. Take time to honor your why by re-examining it over time. So uh, taking that step back and actually looking at what's going on, if you don't do that, you're gonna have problems. Yeah, the way I like to think about that is like, I like to do micro check-ins with myself. So like, let's just say I'm in the sauna or I'm on a bike ride and I'll say, hey, how am I doing as a husband, a father, as a business owner, as an athlete, whatever. Micro, like daily. And then every now and then you have those big check-ins, like the ones I was talking about with my wife about the CrossFit Games. Those are big moments where you say, hey, do I need to reevaluate the whole thing? An example for, you know, maybe you lose your job, maybe you get married, maybe you have a kid. That would require you to kind of reevaluate everything. But these micro check-ins help me so I don't wake up a year from now and say, damn, you know, I was a, I was a bad dad or whatever. Name the thing, right? Yeah. I could have been better here, 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 here. This one's a more of a macro. Yeah. And I looked at this too, is also almost as if you're debriefing, right? Debrief is a huge way to improve what you're doing. And if you don't debrief after you do an operation, if you don't debrief after you do a project, if you're not debriefing after you get done with a, a fight, you're not learning anything. And so for me, this was also like, like looking at what you're doing and saying, all right, let's do a quick debrief on my performance as a dad, as a businessman, on that project, on that workout, whatever the case may be. So you can say, oh, I hear some adjustments I need to make to get better. And and just to close out the book, and again, the book is, there's all, all so much good information. And actually one of the things you got in here is you've got a bunch of little, um, they're like mental drills to go through. And it's sort of, 
it's it's almost like I guess for lack of a better word, it's like meditations on like, hey, think about this for the next eight minutes. Write down these what what you discover. You got a bunch of these little drills, basically mental drills to do, and some physical drills to do as well. For sure. So, and then on top of that, you have a bunch of anecdotes that describe how well this AMRAP mentality has worked for you in a bunch of variety of different situations. So get the book, I'm gonna close it out with this. This mindset is not a gimmick. It's not a cheap trick, hack, or shortcut. I'm not telling you that the AMRAP mentality will magically transform your life while you lay back and sip frozen margaritas. You will need to work. And for this thing to really fire on all cylinders, you will need to be the hardest worker in the room. But you should want it that way. When you learn to enjoy the labor, the success is even sweeter because you've earned it. So. There you go, that's what this thing gets into. Now, you got tested with the AMRAP mentality as you already mentioned real quickly, when COVID hit in 2020. Yeah, So, yeah, So what sure. happened to the businesses when the COVID hit? Oh man, that was that was big, you know? I, I think that adversity, you know, micro dose of adversity in the gym, I think can really help us outside the gym. And that's why I expose my children to all kinds of sports because I think they learn how to overcome these little things. And then in life, when something big happens, they're better prepared. But for us, yeah, I mean, Who'd have thought that COVID would happen? And at the time, we were their own operating or running, um, I'd say close to 30 brick and mortar locations. We had many, many gyms utilizing our resources and tools. And it, it was a lot. And when you think about brick and mortar, when you think about the businesses hit hard through hardest through COVID, I imagine brick and mortar gyms probably had to be one of them, right? Yeah, well, it was be definitely one of the biggest ones. Because you couldn't do food to go. You couldn't do any of that stuff. And then even, you know, especially in California, different, different, you know, areas have their own rules from a, from a leadership perspective, from a, from a, from a core perspective, we chose to abide by all city and county guidelines. Now, was that the right decision? I don't know. I don't know if it was or wasn't, but that's what we chose. Mm -hmm. And we could have gone the other way, right? We could have not gone that direction, but we chose to. So we had some locations shut down for over a year and yeah. big rents. And so our, our business has consolidated tremendously. So through that, you know, obviously our brick and mortar condensed down. We did what we had to do to retain our team, to take care of our team. Uh, we grew digitally, but we, but we consolidated mm -hmm. brick and mortar. Luckily, we still had the corporate wellness that was pumping globally, but we switched to digital for a lot of that. And here we are now, 2023, and just the business has evolved, right? But that was a, a very, very difficult time for us and many gym owners in our space. Yeah. So what did this switch to digitally, what does that look like? What, what was this, the NC Fit app? Yeah, so the NC Fit app was, uh, you know, so NC Fit, again, born in NorCal, we service gym owners through our app, which gives them session plans, programming, all the stuff that we use in our gyms, it gives it to them. And it's a really valuable tool because what I recognize as we grew globally was that we wanted to have a similar experience from one gym to another. And we weren't giving them that. We were just giving them the workout. But instead, we gave them the workout, the warm-up, scaling, timeline, you name it in a daily video. So that's what gyms were using. So that business stayed pretty strong. But then we rolled out an end-user app to help obviously generate some revenue, but also help our members who couldn't come into the gym. We gave them an app that they could use when they're at home. <clears throat> so that that's kind of how we pivoted there um, and, and got through that. And, and now I'm very fortunate that although we've consolidated, our brick and mortars are doing really well today. And then there was also like craziness going on in the CrossFit world. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of that, I, I mean, I frankly, 
I wish none of that happened at all. Right. Um, you know, we had a lot of gyms that looked at us for guidance during that time, and they were part of the NC Fit Collective. And there was some stuff going on in CrossFit, and you know, a, a lot of gyms were looking at us like, hey, what are we gonna do? What is the next step? And my heart has always been in the right place. Like I have tried from day one, anybody who knows me, to try and support gym owners and coaches. I wanna see them make money, provide for their families, and do what they love for a living. And you know, during that time, I just try to do that same thing, try to provide whatever I could. And um, yeah, we rolled out a license program during that time, which since then we've kind of decided isn't the, the vision for where we wanna go mm -hmm. as a business. We learned a lot of that experience, but during COVID, it was it was a trying time for CrossFit in general. But now I think they're at a good spot. Yeah, no, I I mean CrossFit's doing really well right now. They brought in Donfall. We had Donfall on the podcast, yeah. former Marine, great dude, um, and they're really focused. They're focused on like really helping out the affiliates. Like it used to be very very laissez faire, meaning like you just open a gym and if you've been, if you've got a CrossFit level one cert, you can have a gym. It could be. It could be freaking literally in a tent, right? Or it could be in a twenty thousand square foot, you know, metroplex. Is that a word? And it could be anything in between. And you could have coaches that were that you know failed gym class, and you could have coaches that were Olympic lifters, right? And everything in between. Um, but now it seems like well, that's one of the things that they're focusing on now is like really helping out, putting investments into the affiliates so that the affiliates are more more supported that's yeah. what they're looking to do a good way to think about crossfit is it's a license model meaning you pay a fee to utilize the mark and in 2008 i was very very blessed to be able to utilize this mark and this methodology and be a part of the sport that changed my life forever and greg glassman was the founder of a methodology that, in my opinion has been incredibly impactful across a variety of things, not only across many entrepreneurs and businesses through the CrossFit space, but also obviously I think gymnastics has gotten a little boost. I think Olympic lifting has gotten a huge boost. I think he's- Powerlifting. Powerlifting. I think Kettlebells. he's one of the biggest like reasons- got a huge boost. Why you go into a, a conventional gym now and that space looks different. Or you go into a hotel gym and you'll see kettlebells. A lot of that is due to his innovation from, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. And with the license model, it was, it was, it was, it was always Greg's idea that you know the cream will rise to the top and I'm just gonna provide this methodology and you do you. And I think for a long time that worked really well. Uh, it gave guys like me the opportunity to build a business with paying a, you know, a very nominal license fee and the barrier to entry was very low. But with the barrier to entry being really low, it also allows for people to get in who are just kind of hobby mindset. And so that's where you see this discrepancy over the years, right? You have some people who are treating it like a hobby, some people look at it as a business. And now I think with Don and others, they're trying to create a streamlined approach to CrossFit because I think there's a stigma uh, about CrossFit. When, when people hear it, whatever that stigma is, you might have an impression. And I would assure you that if you actually went into a gym, if you went into an affiliate that really cared, and, and I'd say almost all, basically all of them do, and you actually spent time there, you'd probably have an amazing experience. And I think that um, more people should look at that opportunity. It's like jujitsu. You go into jiu-jitsu, you have one experience, and maybe it wasn't the perfect experience. I think jiu-jitsu could change your life. I think CrossFit could change your life too. You see, you go find the right gym and go spend some time there. Yeah, and I, I, I think, just like in jiu-jitsu, leave your ego at the door. Because if you bring <laughs> your ego in, and I think that's what, you know, one of the, one of the bad raps for CrossFit 
you know, in you know, in the past decade, right. has been like, oh, guys are trying to do stuff that they're not capable. Guys and well, men and women are trying to do stuff that they shouldn't be doing, that they don't have the proper technique for, and they're pushing themselves really hard, and they're trying to execute things when they're fatigued that they shouldn't be trying to execute. They shouldn't even try to execute them when they're fresh, much less trying to execute them when they're fatigued. And when people let their ego come in, both as a coach and as a as a as a trainer, as an athlete, if you're my coach and you have a big ego and I'm an athlete and I maybe I don't even have an ego, but you're telling me you can get this because your ego wants me to perform well, when you should be saying, "Hey, Jocko, your 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 form's starting to fail. Yeah. You need to back off." Or if my ego's saying, "Hey, you know what? Don't worry, coach. I got, I can I can do more." That's when people. That's when you get hurt. That's yep. when you get hurt. So I think they've now got a great focus of making sure that that doesn't happen. Also opening it up for like normal people. Because I think when you see when when you see a kind of stereotypical CrossFit person, everyone pictures, oh, someone that's just jacked and looks like they're an incredible athlete, looks like they're a freaking college track athlete or something. When the reality is, most CrossFit gyms are normal people yep. that are out there trying to get in better shape. And what a great way to get in better shape. What a great way to meet new people. What a great way to uh, get get to be part of a community. It's all good. And I think some of those stigmas, I think CrossFit earned some of the stigmas that they got. And now they're in the process of getting rid of those stigmas by changing and, and evolving to where the ego's much less um, and and more focused on hey we got normal this is for normal people. I mean what I would say is that CrossFit is in my opinion the most effective training program ever. I mean at least at least for me it it is it is building people in our gyms including myself who are capable outside the gym and I think that they could lift they could they could pull they could they but you need to enter it and just detach from your ego just go in there. And maybe try a few different affiliates. Find the one that works for you, just like finding a jiu-jitsu gym. But I, I think once you try it, if you're interested in higher intensity training, CrossFit's the way to go. And, and you will find coaches who just deeply care. Um, and I think that's what makes it special. So I do think, though, that as an overall ecosystem, we are getting better. There was a time where maybe it wasn't as good. But now I think you see coaches maturing. I think you see athletes maturing. I think you see the leadership maturing. And it's at a really good spot right now. And I'm excited for the future of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else you got going on? Well, <laughs> uh, you know, so What's I, train, you're wearing the train hard yeah. t-shirt. What's train hard all about? So train hard is something that we've been talking about forever. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a culmination of, it's a culmination of all of my training, right? It's for 20 years trying to meet with the best coaches in the world to be better at powerlifting, Olympic lifting, all these different things. And then my exposure through, uh, you know, different law enforcement groups we work with or through jujitsu and saying like, what program am I fired up about right now? Like, what do, what do I love? And CrossFit with the higher complexity movements is phenomenal and we do it at our gyms. But for me, Train Hard is a new program that is designed for people who want to act the part, look the part, and never hit zero. And what that means to me is act the part means that you could protect and provide. And so as a dad, this is where I'm at on my journey, right? I'm 38 years old. I've been training a long time. I used to want to be the fittest on earth. Now it's like, I want to be able to jump, climb, and push, do whatever I need to do to protect myself and my family, including jujitsu and other things, right? That's important to me. 
my son fell into a bonfire last year and I jumped up and was able to push him out. That is a skill that I was able to develop because of the gym. But I also want to be able to provide. And I think this is not just talking about like hunting. I'm not referring to it only that way. I mean, provide experiences. I want to be fit enough for my family that if my kid asks me to do anything, I'm game. You want to go jump in the ocean? You want to go climb something? You want to go play baseball? Let's go. That I want to provide experiences, but I also want to provide financially. And I believe that if someone comes in is using our programs or is training hard, they're going to show up differently when they're at work. And that is going to help them provide more for their family. They're going to show up with more energy, more self-confidence. They're going to look the part. And I believe that's going to help them in the long term to provide financially as well. So that's what we're about now at Train Hard. And we're launching in January. It's an online program, three programs. One's mainly strength conditioning. One is more of a functional style bodybuilding. And one is your Never Zero program. And it's designed for people who align with kind of where I'm at on my journey today. And that that launches in January. Yeah. Okay. Along with what we're gonna be working with your team for the yeah we're doing know. uh we're doing something a little little something called the deaf reset yeah you heard of this shit, I oh, heard of that yeah yeah, yeah. you're doing it freedom reset and what is you know we did it last year and it's it's you know it's like it's a reset button right yep. sometimes you got to hit control alt delete you yes. know that stuff because you're a computer nerd yes sir right echo charles yes you're correct so sometimes everything's getting all jumbled up jammed up jammed like to up. say yes and so true. it's not functioning the way it should you hit control alt, alt delete <clears throat> do a little reset yes so that's what this is and and you know we did it last year it was kind of like i didn't know what to expect of what the response would be but man you get to see people just hit that reset button and really make an awesome transition and get on the path. And you know, you hear me talk about the path, the path in life, the path of discipline. I can tell you this, if you're on the path in life, your life is better. This has just been proven to me over and over and over and over and over again. If you're on the path of discipline in life, your life is going to be better, 100%. And so that's what the deaf reset is. And what we're doing is it's pretty cool. We got you are participating and you've got a bunch of workouts ready um, that are fully scalable. And what's the minimum gear needed for the workout program? Yeah, I mean, a set of dumbbells, if you have access to a jump rope and a cardio piece of equipment would be ideal. If not, you could identify adjustments, but we are gonna add a load in there with the dumbbells. If you don't have it, you can utilize a backpack or something else, but it would be nice if you had a set of dumbbells a jump rope and access to a form of cardio. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna be putting out five workouts a week. They're all gonna be EMOM based. So for people who are interested in doing this, mm-hmm. I love EMOMs. I think EMOMs are the best way to train. Not the only way to train, but in my opinion, I love them because it's you against the clock and you can set quantifiable goals and then race against it. It also helps this never zero mentality where guys, all you gotta do is show up hit the workout, it's gonna be 30 minutes or less every day, and that could be a thing that you do along with whatever else you wanna do for that yeah. day, but that's the idea. How come you like EMOM better than AMRAP for a workout for this particular occasion? I mean, that's a great question. I, there are gonna be AMRAPs within EMOM, so let me give you an example. It would be uh, mi- minute one and two, um, uh, steady state cardio at a moderate effort. Minute three and four, AMRAP, so as many reps as you can, of three dumbbell deadlifts, three lunges and three pushups. You do that as many times as you can in three in the two minutes, mm-hmm. you then rest a minute. So I love AMRAPs as many reps as you can within a time frame. 
But I think the reason why EMOMs work so well is that it gives some like calculated rest in there and it allows you to gamify it a little bit more because you have a minute by minute case where you could identify and just take a deep breath and say, how am I doing on this workout? Okay, let's get back at it. When Do you ever do those EMOMs where you, I mean, I know you do, but <laughs> one, one minute, the first minute you do one rep, oh, yeah. the second minute you do two reps. What do you think of those things? I love them. Like, like death, they call them death by, right? Yeah. So it's like one, two, three. I mean, the funny thing about those is like, so an example would be like, um, I don't know, one clean and jerk at 135 the first minute. You, you do it, you feel like, all right, man, like I'm feeling good, right? You go two, you're like, this is easy. Three, four, five. All of a sudden you get to like, let's just say seven. You're like, oh, yeah. okay. And it just escalates quickly. So yeah, I do those. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing about EMOMs, which is why it's my favorite. Let's just say you want to learn a new skill. Let's just say it's the muscle up. And you said, I want to do one em- one muscle up every minute on the minute for 10 minutes. You do your muscle up, you come down. You have plenty of rest, but it gives you an opportunity to reflect and say, how did I do? Did I utilize my hip? Did I drive out of the out of the receiving position? Did I hit good positions? And then you could change it on the next one. Said so this way you don't finish an AMRAP for 10 minutes and then look back on your work and say, wow, I wish I had done this, this, this different. So that's one of the reasons why I like EMOMs is that there is small calculated breaks that could give you a second to correct something that's going on mm-hmm. or inspire you to keep those same numbers. One of the workouts, for example, in the Def Reset is gonna be uh, you know, max push-ups in 50 seconds or a minute, max uh, sit-ups and max squats, and then a minute rest, and you'll do that for 20 minutes. Well, if in the beginning, your first week, if let's just say you get, uh, I did this yesterday, I think I got 30, uh, 30, and 35 or something like that. At the end of the four weeks, you can go back and try and test that mm-hmm. and see if you can improve that, but it gives you a quantifiable number to fight for. Yeah, but that's gonna be good. Um, so we got that, so you're gonna be participating in the Def Reset, given given those workouts and making videos and talking about uh, various protocols for working out, that's gonna be cool. Echelon Front's participating as well, so we're doing like leadership things and, and making leadership kind of challenges and stuff like that, and some, some educational videos and bringing people to some of our online training for that. And then I'm gonna be doing, sort of talking about discipline as as a broad thing and talk about also talking about nutrition and 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 that level as well so that's going to be a a good time yeah it's gonna be a good time for the deaf reset we're, we're putting out a warning order this is another thing that i learned from last year you know I, i'm i'm probably the one of the most guilty people of this of like i don't do new year's resolutions because like i'll just i'm just doing it right now start today don't like I, i've i've done that my, my whole life I've been saying that. Like, dude, I'm a, my New Year's resolution, what? Nothing changed. There's nothing different today, tomorrow, whatever. But I'm telling you, I saw such a great impact last mm-hmm. year. So, and also I thought about this. When you're doing a mission, do you just like randomly start the mission because you just thought of it? No, you actually prepare. So we're doing like a warning order where we're gonna put out the word, this is what it is, this is what you need to be prepared for. So like everyone that's listening to this today that's gonna do it, you just heard it, jump uh, jump rope and set of dumbbells. You can get a set of dumbbells at a yard sale for for a dollar fifty. Yeah. Like you might have to bargain with the kid and maybe give him two bucks. Sure. But I mean you're talking like a 20 pound, 30 pound, 40 pound, maybe, yep. probably even 30, I'm yeah, thinking. It depends on what your, obviously your fitness level, right? But like, yeah, as high, the highest you would want is like a set of 50s. That's the highest. Yeah, and I, when you say a set of 50s and I start thinking about doing like like thrusters with 50 pound oh, dumbbells, dude. yeah, <laughs> EMOMs, like I'm thinking 30s. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that's, so 
probably most people, if you have a set of 30s, 25s, 30s, you're probably gonna be good to go. So there's a little bit of the warning order right now. Get yourself a jump rope. Maybe start practicing jump rope a little bit. You know? Or find and find and identify another cardio, right? So if you wanna run, run. If you wanna get a bike, get a bike. But you, we wanna have some type of cardio implement if you have access to it. If not, you're just running outside. Okay, so running outside is an option. Yeah. Okay, cool. What's another, do you, is there any, exercise that you consider a cardio exercise that you could supplement? Um, I, I think running is gonna be your best. I mean, if you can't jump rope, you could do plate jumps, you could just jump in place. You could also do up downs, which is kind of gonna be, it's not gonna tax your chest as much, but you can get your cardiovascular like mm -hmm. response. But I think the idea would be probably some type of running or biking is kind of like the, the goal or intent, even like yep. a skier or something like that. Yep. When I was training Dean Lister, Back in the day, we used to train in a place called City Boxing, and they had the they had above the mat there was pipes, and there was lights, oh. and they were at different heights, and so the the light was a little bit taller. Like you had to you had to you had to set your jump, but basically those were the two kind of cardio implements I used with him. With, well, one of the main cardio implements that I used with him, touch the pipe. And he would just have to sit there and just touch, touch, touch. It's like you're jumping, you know, six inches or maybe it was even like, once you put your hand up, it was probably like four inch jump. But you do that for a minute, Dude. jump, jump, jump. And then sometimes it was touch the light. And the light was like a, you know, a higher jump that you had to like explode for. One was just like a bop, 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 bop. And but you combine those two things together, that can be good. So what you're saying, like maybe you just get a little, like maybe jumping up on a curb, yep. you know, jump up on a curb, do that for, well, you know, for your cardio, if you can't run, but uh, so there's your warning order for Def Reset. It's gonna start January 1st, man. It's gonna be one of those gigs. I know you could start today. If you really cared, you start today. Well, guess what? Plan today. Get a jump rope. Start learning how to jump rope. Jump rope, uh, wear shoes, especially <laughs> if you're beginning. Yeah. Like I work out barefoot, but if I'm gonna be jumping rope, I'm getting the sneaks on, boy. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you don't wanna be cracking them up. No. You don't wanna be cracking No. <laughs> What's up? It. Can't remember the other day, actually a few weeks ago, we were, well, when we were doing a video, and mm -hmm. I, came, <laughs> I, come, <laughs> I come in with regular shoes on, by yeah. the way, and he's teasing my shoes. He's like, well, my man over here with a Foot Locker shoe. <laughs> They're like regular <laughs> shoes. Like, like, like Vans? or Like, like regular Adidas like yeah. shoes, yeah. regular yeah. for working out. And then, yeah, it, it started to like provide some perspective. I don't know why I flash back to that. Yeah. But it was weird how you were teasing me about regular <laughs> shoes. Normal. They weren't even like, no, like crazy shoes. shoes. Black and white, yep, yeah, exactly right. And you're like, oh, yeah. it didn't make sense, but now it makes sense. A yeah, a little bit more. That's what I was laughing at. Yeah, there you go. With the white vans, they weren't white. They weren't even <laughs> no, white vans. They were black Adidas shoes Just with normal, white trim. That's it. Normal shoes. Normal shoes. There you were rolling in there. Uh, so that's cool. And we'll have like a web page. We're gonna host a bunch yep. of videos on that web page. Again, the, this is just like, how can we hook people up? When I see the impact it had last year. It's gonna be awesome. And there's like little challenges. One of the challenges is, and I think this is pretty awesome, um, burpees. In 10 minutes, right? Every day, it's either you do 100 burpees or, or as many burpees as you can in 10 minutes. That's a, that's a great little mechanism for life. It's such a good mechanism for life. Um, actually, you have one of the things in, in your book is max burpees in six minutes. Um, this is a similar thing, but 
it's one of those things where if you can't find 10 minutes in your day, bro, you need to re you need you to reassess need to everything yeah. in your whole yeah. world. 100%. Because if you can't get 10 minutes to do some burpees, and it's a good number, you know, like that's a good pace. And if you can beat it, cool. So go as hard as you can. If you get done in seven, seven minutes, man, that's great. If you do 100 burpees in, in six minutes and 48 seconds, that's awesome. If you can only get 32 burpees in 10 minutes, cool. By the end of Def Reset, you're guaranteed to be doing a lot better. That's one of the things, that's one of the like additional little challenges. And again, burpees are no joke. No. You can, do, you can have a devastating workout with burpees in three minutes. Yeah, like it's because you're moving yourself. your whole body, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. one of my go-tos is 15 burpees every minute on the minute for 10 minutes. It's Oof. like, that's like my jam. It's oh, it's my go-to yeah. if I'm traveling, if I'm doing anything. It's just like, it just resets me, puts me in a great spot, and it just, you're you're drenched at oh, the you're end. Oh, you're drenched. You know? You ever do burpee pull-ups? Yeah. That's another good Or one. burpees to a target oh. is also another example. So like uh, back when you were talking about uh, training Dean, instead of just doing jumps, which are oh, still great, yeah. you do a burpee, but you hit a target. Oh. For some reason, it's so much harder. Oh, yeah. But like, because you're like having to extend yeah. or whatever. But I mean, the, the thing about it is like- Yeah, well, that's because by the time I get to burpee number 62, my vertical jump yeah. is one millimeter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, training doesn't have to be that complicated. I think that people complicate it. And the reality is you have to move, you have to move every day, you have to get after and you have to identify what your why is for training. And for me, my why has evolved over the years. And this is what I'm expressing now. Like I'm competing in jujitsu. I'm going to compete in the tactical games. Those things like are like, you know, kind of like, pillars that I'm looking for, but on a daily basis, I just want to be able to show up for the family and just be that guy. It's yeah. super important to me. Yeah. Uh, so that's the Def Reset. We'll be doing that January 1st. A little warning order will be coming out here shortly. Um, check out, you have a podcast too. Yeah, the Jason Kleepa podcast. My uh, co-host and I, Gabe, we just riff about being a dad, where we're at in our journey, and and, and it's just evolved over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, It used to be called Business of Fitness for years, and it was all about talking about what I've learned running gyms. Mm-hmm. And now it's the Jason Cleve podcast, which allows me to talk about anything that I want to talk about. Check. <laughs> and then, you know, one thing I wanted to mention um, is you are still involved. Uh, like you like you said, your your daughter, um, thank God, is is recovered and she's cancer-free right now, but you, you're still in the fight and you're helping other people out. You got two things that you support. Well, I guess you support through Ava's Kitchen, avaskitchen.org. You support something called negu.org. That's right. Never, never, ever give up. Which is actually local to the Southern California area. Um, the founders, they're incredible humans, and we've been supporting them for many years. So my wife does an annual fundraiser called Ava's Kitchen. Every year, um, Chef Michael Mina and a bunch of other chefs that are very popular, they come and, and, and host a live auction where they cook in front of you. We've raised millions of dollars for kids fighting cancer, and it's been one of the most impactful things I've ever done in my life, and I know for my wife too, where you could give. You know, when we were in the hospital those months, we ju- we just saw a lot of stuff, right? And we want to do our part to try and impact families and provide them experiences. So we fundraise not for the cure, but for the care. And not that the cure is bad, but where we fund right now through Nego is for the care. So sending people to Disneyland, you know, giving breakaway adventures. We host uh, events all the time, things like that. Mm-hmm. So kitchen.org, you can check that out. The next event will be in March, 2024, and we'd love to see you there. So awesome that you guys are still helping out. Um, very cool to see. What else, does that get us up to speed? I think that gets us up to speed, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if people wanna go check out, um, you know, what we have going on with with Train Heart, the best place to go is th.fit, 
trainhard.fit, but it's th.fit on there. We will have the book. Um, we'll also have obviously access to our newsletter. You know, we've been investing a lot on our weekly newsletter. It's just an opportunity for me to talk to, you know, just people, primarily men, but also women as well, and and just share things that are firing me up, right? Mm-hmm. Lessons I've learned over my life. And as it, as I evolve, the newsletter evolves. And so if you want to join the newsletter, we'd love to have you on there. Check. Uh, you also have jasonkalipa.com. Yeah, I, I'd go to, you can go there, but I think th.fit is great. It, okay, it, it'll, th, it'll, th.fit is the main place. And then you're on Instagram. Yeah, jasonkalipa on Instagram. Would you're love to on connect Facebook. You. you have your own Twitter, or sorry, you have your own YouTube. I looked at your Twitter. Yeah. It's, which is at Jason Kalipa. You, your last post was in 2020. So I got to get on that. You, uh, you haven't yeah, been on Twitter much, but you're on, on the gram. Yeah, the Instagram I think is the best place because it's a way that I could actually like engage with people, message with people, share content that's important to me. And then obviously newsletter is a deeper level and so is the podcast. So awesome. Um, Echo. Yeah. You got any questions? Yeah. So let's oh, here first, we go. first thing. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. What do you got? Rewind a little bit back to football days. <laughs> okay. I gave you the opportunity uh, on football. Well, well <laughs> kind okay. of. But yeah. Okay. okay. So you played guard, you said. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. But, and, but then you mentioned qu- uh, briefly pulling guard. Oh, yeah. So they had you come in for pulling guard or, or was it like, yeah, you just pull a lot? No. So I, in, in our offense, I think it was the West Coast offense. Wait, wait. You know what pulling guard is? No. Well, I know it's, what it is. It's no, called no. when you pull guard. Like not a, in, not in, in jiu-jitsu. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. It's different. There's, yeah. there's a, uh, if you're a guard, that's your position, mm-hmm. and you pull, that means you essentially go off. The, when the play starts, you go off the line and go to the outside as an outside blocker. Mm-hmm. You pull, whether awesome. one side or the other. It's so Jocko, it's the best. It, but it does require, like, if you're a pulling guard, like, that's kind of your you're a specialty kind of guard. Mm-hmm. That means you're more athletic than... Yeah. Let's say that you're so quick. So it's like a little bit of a humble brag when he said he's pulled guard. <laughs> no, no, no. He's a little bit no, of a humble brag. Now that you no, no, no. it. My yeah. favorite thing we did was pull guard because, to your point, you'd be on the line, right? And it'd be like, all right, so the play is whatever. And you'd have your running back go around the outside, and you would pull and get in front of them. But, man, sometimes there's just opportunities just to light people up because they don't yeah. see you yep. coming. And then I expect it. And you're coming. just, boom. <laughs> like, yeah. after the game, you'd watch, like, tape. And you'd yeah, be like, wow. Yeah. I mean, obviously, sometimes it didn't work out as well. But how, fa- how What was your 40 when you were 260? I think I got down to a 16 f- or whatever. I want to say, I mean, who knows if the if, – if the, you know, we were using like the finger timers. I want to say I got down to a four nine. Um, so I got below a five and you know, I think, like I said, if I had applied myself differently, maybe my journey would have been different in football. I think I had a lot of potential. I just, it was my own fault. Just Mm -hmm. didn't, but you know, my journey was also different, you know, from there I found CrossFit and all these things and it it impacted my life tremendously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, so you were more athletic than your typical guard. You would uh, say I, like, I would you just say the offense. I would just say the offense ran a lot of pulling stuff, yeah, and yeah. I happened to be the guard. Okay, but it yeah, was just yeah. hella fun. That was the question. Yeah. Okay. So, but were you a good two sixty or, or kind of like sloppy two sixty? Yeah. Like what up? I'd say I was a good two sixty, but could have been a great two sixty if I had worked harder. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Right on. Um, and then back to the pancake mix uh, <laughs> thing. What <laughs> is that still like? What up? Like what? Dude, where are we at on that? I, I feel like we batter need a, blaster. Bladder blaster. Batter blaster. Yes. You know what? We we should Google that after this show, and yeah. we should look at what they say. Uh, but I don't think it's a thing anymore. That's too bad because, like, when you think about, it, especially with the advent of uh, pro, what protein pancakes and yeah. like all this stuff, mm. right? And pancakes. Let's face it, bro. That's those are delicious most of the time, you know. So if you combine like a protein batter blaster pancake. <laughs> 
pack or something Dude. like this, bro. I'm telling you, bro, I'm down. I'm a hey, fan. Maybe we should. Start Jason's ready to invest. Oh. Hey, <laughs> how about the, hey, oh, <laughs> We should create our own I'm pancake pack. It could be right? something. You guys could have that it one. It could be something. All Even day. like, uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm not very. I'm not up to date on the pancake market, really. But <laughs> anything <laughs> simple, like because I we still make pancakes. Yeah, the, you know, in the morning, whatever. We put milk in the pancakes, by the way. Oh yeah. That's a oh good one. yeah. But. At the, at the same time, as as good of an experience that is, I'm, I'm just saying general marketplace kind of status is like, hey, if it's super fast and convenient, like in a bottle, pancake mix in a bottle or a blaster or, or a XYZ container, something yeah. convenient, you can I just use it and put next, away. Next Jocko fuel product, Protein you know? pancakes in how's a that, in How's a that milk train treating you? I like milk. So I, I, I like the Jocko fuel products. I like your guys's, well, we talked about this, like I do men's club workouts, like on a weekly basis, we just go do hard stuff together and I'll have 20, 40 guys show up and just go do hard stuff. And it's one of the, the best things I've ever done in my life. I just, I love it. Um, so I think that more men need to have that shared experience with each other, especially right now. Anyways, I'll roll out the Yeti cooler and I'll have the mulks in there and it just, it's, it's, it's legit. I like that product. Um, and then obviously I take, um, I take some of your other, obviously, products, but the, the Mulk after workout is great. Joint yeah. Warfare is my favorite problem. Yeah, that one's a huge subscription thing. People yeah. subscribe, which is, a, to me, that's an indicator of how well or how much people like something is they subscribe to it. Yeah. So Joint Warfare is like our biggest subscription thing because people get on it. They don't ever want to get off of it. Uh, I was saying before we, before we started recording, because I had a protocol shift because I'll have a go on the way to train jujitsu. When I got done, I used to just go straight to mulk, but now I'm having a hydrate when I get done. And then I get home and have a mulk. And that's like a trifecta yeah. of glory right there. Because I sweat a lot. And, you know, I get done training. I've, uh, I mean, I sweat. I probably sweat out, I probably sweat out five pounds. You know, when I train jujitsu, I probably, on, um, yeah, I probably oh, sweat dude. out five pounds yeah. at least. Yeah. And so I need to rehydrate. And the hydration's just so good. And it just nails it, you know, get home, feel freaking GTG. If you have a workout and you don't sweat, now you say you sweat a lot, so maybe for the average person, maybe mm -hmm. doesn't sweat as much as Jocko. Mm -hmm. If you don't sweat, did you still get in, do you still feel like you got in a good workout? Oh yeah, there's certain workouts where I'm not gonna sweat as much. Like if I'm just like deadlifting someday, R right. then there's probably, I might not sweat at all. You know, I might be, cause I'm just doing like, you know, triples or something like that and I'm taking long rests. Um, yeah, and the, the weather and all the... I mean, yeah, you plus know, the weather. The, if it's yeah. cold, you know, it, I might not sweat. But I, I, I do break a sweat pretty easily. Even if I'm just like just doing something like a, a heavy lift day or something like that, I'll, I'll still probably, at least at a minimum, break a sweat. And then in the freaking summertime, it just gets ridiculous. Yeah. It's just like a disaster of sweat. It's, yeah. just, it's just gross, you know? Why do you ask that? Uh, just because for me, it's like, it's a, this weird mental thing that like, yeah. I feel like if I don't sweat, I didn't work out and I'm not, yeah. it, it's just a me thing. Like you could still get a great workout if, and obviously we're in, we're in California. Mm -hmm. So the weather's pretty normal. Yeah. If you're in the middle of, you know, if you're in Minnesota, Minnesota you, during you, the winter, you're not sweating like, for six months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but I think for me, it's like, if once I start sweating, that's when I feel like my body's getting primed and ready. You know, when I look at a warm up. It should be doing two things, increasing core body temperature and taking my body through a full range of motion. That's what I need to be. That's what I'm thinking about. Am I priming my engine for when I'm ready to perform? Are you doing the same warm, warm up every day? Well, when I was competing, it would be the same. Mm -hmm. So what How I'm long would it take? 
uh, that'd be like a 15 minute warm up. What I would be trying to do, like I even at, at sometimes would bring certain machines like a GHD to, to warm up areas mm. because I had a specific protocol that mentally and physically would put me in a state. Because what you want to try and do when you're competing is you want to try and you want to try and replicate things so your body starts saying to itself, okay, I'm, I'm getting primed and ready. So if I always had the same protocol, it'd be like nutrition. People eat a certain way. And then like three, three days before an event, they change it because they want to eat clean or do whatever. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Just stick to the plan. If you want to change it, change it months in advance so your body can get adjusted to it. Same thing goes for warmups. I would have the same warmup every day. 10 hip extensions, 10 GHD sit-ups, row, repeat, three rounds, move on. And it would, it would just- Move on to what? I would just move on to like more skill specific for that day. Okay, Maybe it's okay, gonna be, but it was always the the row and the GHD was like my go-to. Row like as in concept five, two rower? Yeah, like okay. a 500 meter row, GHD sit-ups to, to, to basically open up my hips and get my, like my, my quads firing mm -hmm. and then rotate over to engage my posterior chain and do hip extensions. So I'm, I'm testing my midline, I'm opening up. I would do that and I would just repeat that for like three to five rounds. And then once I was ready, then I moved on to more specific for that day. Maybe it's opening my lat on a front rack position. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was, who knows. But when I did that, it mentally put me in a state where I was ready to, ready to crush. Mm -hmm. Are you doing more mobility now? Not really. I, I, think that I, 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 I think that deep tissue work and rolling is one of the most underutilized tools ever. I think quad smashing with a kettlebell and smashing in general is is highly underutilized and everybody should be doing it. What is smashing? So smashing. you take a kettlebell and you just put it right on your quad. Oh, and you just let the rest just, it there. Just mm -hmm. just, just like sit down on the floor. Around. Yeah. And just oh, put it just... right put it right at the dimple, right above your knee, and mm -hmm. just just breathe and let it get deeper, then move it around and basically start to break things up, right? The way that it was described to me is if you look at your skin, you look at your muscle, you look at your fascia that's on top of that muscle, you want your fascia to just to smoothly go over as if you're ironing it out with a foam roller and you can do that with the you know foam roller kettlebell barbell so i do that but i really use movement as a way to increase my range of motion so for example you know overhead squatting with just a light bar just to kind of sit down at the bottom make sure my hips and ankles are still there i want to make sure that i'm still doing those mm -hmm. things checked <laughs> uh Echo Charles. Yeah. Any oh, well, other that, questions? That was the thing about the sweating because I was literally <laughs> just thinking about that when you're, because um, you you say sweat every day. It's one of your protocols, right? Sweat every day. And then, um, and I did a workout, and usually I start sweating a little bit, and then I'll do this like conditioning thing. On as far as generally, typically speaking, um, I'll do a conditioning thing at the end. And after the conditioning part, that's when the sweat just like yeah. drenched in sweat. But the other day, because it's getting colder, I did the whole same protocol. And I'm like, wait, I'm not even sweating that much. And I'm thinking like it, it literally doesn't feel like I worked out that hard. But I did the exact same thing as I always do. But I was like, oh, no, because it's cold right now. Cold. You know, so to answer your as far as your question, do you feel like you work out? It is a feeling. huh? It's like, yeah, a feeling. I feel like I did, even though you literally same output. Same output as you always do, but you don't yeah. feel. I mean, it. even like, even like, even like, for example, earlier today I'm at a hotel gym and I'm getting after it, and it was pretty hot in the hotel gym. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I started sweating sooner than I would if I was in my garage or at a gym. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm getting a good one right now. <laughs> but I know I'm not. Like, it's all yeah. the same stuff. It's just a psychological thing. You just got to be like, hey, man, just just chill, dude. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever use a heart rate monitor? I have in the past. I, I think there is value to them for sure. Mm -hmm. One of the things I think is really interesting about heart rate monitors, and Tim Kennedy uses his a lot for rolling jiu-jitsu is how do I take an athlete on the mats with a heart rate monitor 
take them off the mats and replicate, if not enhance, that heart rate doing other stuff. Mm -hmm. That's something I've been thinking about lately. What did he find? What does he find when he uses it? Is he finding like, is he is he working really hard? Is he finding out that it's that he's that he can rest more? Or he should be resting more, or he should be putting out more. Like, what's the research? That yeah, he's I, I gotta ask him what his data is showing him at this point. But I know that he wears the heart rate monitor like regularly, and he's trying to get in specific zones. Mm-hmm. I've never really like trained heart rate wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about more as a breathing cadence, especially for like long distance running. So when I was really running with a track coach regularly, we would utilize time and and breath as like indicators. Like, how what is your cadence? What's your breath rate? And how are you performing? Those were things that I was thinking about because I was I wouldn't be able to have a heart rate monitor or whatever necessarily all the events in the games. Nowadays, people are a little bit more technologically advanced and they start using it. But five years ago, wasn't the case. What's your favorite imam? Like number, just bait your 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 jam imam. Well, I mean, I think the the ten uh, the fifteen imam, fifteen burpees every minute on the minute okay. for ten minutes. Yeah. There's also one called Death Row that's pretty gnarly. Yeah. It's twenty cal row, and fifteen burpees the next minute for mm. twenty minutes. Oh, okay. And so that's 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 so tough. What, so how does that work? It's alternating. You do the yep. row, and then on the next minute, fifteen burpees. Phase burpees. So it's like an yeah. imam alternating. Yeah, exercise. but I mean, on that one, the goal is nice deep breaths. Get your hurry under control. And you're going like 50 seconds at each one. Mm. And so if you try and go too fast, you know, the thing about EMOMs, the thing about workouts is you want to think about it almost like you're breathing like you're swimming. So when you're swimming, you find your breathing cadence. It's very important. As soon as you get out of your cadence, you could freak out really quickly. Same thing goes with workouts. you got to find the cadence and you need your brain to feel like it's going to get oxygen. If you, if you, like in jujitsu, if you breathe, 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 and you stop breathing, your brain freaks out. But if you find a nice cadence, it's going to help you keep your heart rate more lower. So that wow. e- that EMOM is a good example of that. Because uh, that's different than like a minute in between sets. So, because like, oh, if it's you, a hell of a lot. Yeah, because bro. it's basically nonstop I'll, for 20 minutes. I was going to yeah. say, because he says it's like swimming, it's like drowning. <laughs> <laughs> because. Because even what you were saying earlier, you know, the first, like, if you're doing five reps of something, the first time you're like, oh, this is so easy. By, you know, you fast forward seven minutes, it's yeah. taking you that whole time. And you're, by the time you get done, there's like four seconds four left. Three, yeah. And you just want to, you ever do that one, Kelsu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that to me is a savage workout. So it's five bur- on the minute, five burpees, f- um, max thrusters with 135, and you got to go until you get to 100 that. thrusters. Wait, so you go five burpees and then the thrusters? No, yeah. so check it out. The watch starts. Beep. You're going to do five burpees, mm-hmm. and then you're going to do as many thrusters as you can in the remaining, whatever, 45 seconds. Yeah. And this is a destructive Which 10 would be like legit. Workout. Yeah. Like if you get 10, 135 is heavy thruster. Yeah. Yeah. Very it, it, it sucks. And it takes like a half an hour to do this workout. Because you, for me, I was getting like, I'll get like yeah. four right. in the beginning. And then I'm getting like three, and sometimes you, sometimes you uh, get like a single. Yeah, wait, yeah. and so, you're like, I'm a loser. So wait, after the first minute, you just start again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, damn. So okay. the, basically, the thing about it is, I mean, even if you're, I'm saying if you're pumping, but let's just say you do five burpees, that takes you about 15 seconds. Let's just say 20 seconds at the most, mm-hmm. right? And then from there, you have another 40 seconds to get in, you know, five to seven thrusters, Bro. and then you restart again. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm over here to tell you, I'm getting five to, se- I'm not getting five to seven thrusters, or whatever it is, right? yeah. <laughs> it, 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 
It depends if you got your knee, knee sleeves on and, and, and weight belt on. You're yeah. ready to go. Yeah. Just don't depend on nothing. You get down to minute like nine and you're like, bro, I'm doing. <laughs> I, I, I remember I've done it where I've been getting like singles. Yeah. You're just freaking oh, exhausted. Yeah. You're yeah, like, yeah. you know, having a, a breakdown. That's crazy how like a workout, just that small shift in. So, okay. So think, go back to your uh, 15 burpees. Every, every minute, minute on the minute. minute. Yeah. That's different than do 15 burpees. Okay, okay. So we'll do this. So let's say on average, give or take, you do 15 burpees. How many How many seconds do you have left? 15 burpees takes you about, it should take you about 45 to 50 seconds if you're doing it at the cadence that I'm referring to. Okay. That should be like a up, down, down. And right. you're you're trying to keep your heart rate under control. Because otherwise, if you just do 15 burpees as fast as you can, it's going to take you like, I don't know. 30 seconds. Okay, so per, so perfect. So how's this the, the small shift is this part is interesting to me. So on average you got 15 10 15 seconds rest between burpees if you're sure. doing it on a on a the cadence that you're talking about. That's a different workout than you do 15 burpees rest for 15 seconds 10 sets. Totally different. It's yes. a different workout because because, because you could take a minute yeah, to do like those Yeah, like you do those little things. The thing. That's why the clock, <laughs> crazy, that's man. why for the deaf reset, it's so important that we're incorporating EMOMs. EMOMs yeah. are so underutilized by the general population. They're incredibly important because it's now you against the clock. Yeah. It's but not you. Even when you're like working, you're against the clock. Dude, not think just about the it. rest. Like, let's just say the first time you do it. If you do this with me right now, I'd be like, hey, you know, Echo, let's do 10 burpees every minute on the minute for 10 minutes. I'll do it with you. And I'll talk to you about breathing case. By the time you get to minute seven, you're going to be exhausted. Mm. But you got to fight because you, that clock's yeah. going to keep going. Yeah. At a certain point, you're not, you might not have rest anymore. The, actually, this was a basis of a lot of workouts I used to do with my kids. Oh, yeah. When my kids, my kids, the, the five burpees, max pull-ups. Five burpees, max push-ups. Five burpees, max lunges. Like, I would do that with my kids when they were little. I think it mentally scarred me. <laughs> That makes sense to me completely. <laughs> yeah, I, I was not uh, the best, uh, you know, dad at this point. But it's a, it's a great thing. That f- that Kelsu of five burpees and then whatever for the rest of the minute is freaking savage. But think about what you did with your kids. Think about the gift you gave them. Like, yes, there's always ways that we you can. might want to check gift. with them on yeah. that yeah. gift. There's always ways we can improve, right? And I think we all want to be the best we can. But, like, we're trying to provide them for a world that's going to be tough. And if we could utilize fitness as a resource, that's great. You know, like if you get them in the garage and you're fighting for five reps, you only get four, you know, you got to overcome that, right? Or you, you want to keep pushing or like for me with Ava, we strength train every morning. That's what we prioritize because she has other stuff going on. And, you know, it's a time that we can connect. I think every father should. The thing about here's what's interesting about fitness compared to anything else in life. If I say, hey, dad's working hard. It's very hard for a child to understand what working hard is if you're talking about behind a computer or at work. But when you see your parents sweating, getting after it, dude, they just they just know what hard work is. So if you could do that with your kids, I think it's really important. Yeah, yeah. Echo, anything else? I I, I don't want to stay here all day, but so we'll, we'll, we'll catch up after. For call sure. it for this one. We'll right call here. it for this one. Yes, thank you, Jason. Any closing thoughts, bro? Uh, no, I just I really appreciate the relationship we've developed over the last couple of years. You know, it's been a it's been a big goal of mine for like. I don't know. I probably messaged you first time like over a decade ago on social media. Like, hey, man, I'd love to chat with you about jujitsu and, and fitness and whatever. Mm-hmm. And here we are. You know, so I, I just want to say, like, if you have goals when the time is right, when things when the when the universe aligns and if you continue to put in the hard work, like opportunities will present themselves. Yeah, we got it scheduled seven years ago. And here you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Awesome. Uh, 
thanks for coming out, bro. And it's, you know, thanks for sharing the information, I, I, what you're doing, appreciate what you're doing to help people get stronger, get faster, get healthier. It's just cool to see your path and share these stories. And, and also, obviously, thanks for uh, what you and your wife do to help continue this battle against cancer. Um, saving lives, man. And you're saving lives on all front. And uh, it's much appreciated. Thanks for coming out. Sorry it took seven years, bro. <laughs> That's it? Yeah. We'll do it again seven years from now. <laughs> right on, right on. I'll see you at the deaf reset. Let's go. Let's go. And with that, Jason Kalipa has left the building. Can see lots of working out involved. Yeah. Lots of being on the path. Yeah. If we're working hard, if we're getting our as many reps as possible. Yep. We need some fuel. Or if we're doing every minute on the minute, too. We some recommend change. Jocko Fuel. <laughs> yes, sir, we do. Yeah. <laughs> so. I kind of went through my protocol, which is a really good protocol at this juncture in time. What protocol? Oh, the Jocko Fuel protocol. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. It's go on the way to the gym. It's get done training. This is jujitsu. Because I don't, I don't, in the more in the early morning, I don't, I don't have any, uh, any thing besides water. All natty, just going yeah, in. Go natty in the morning. That's an early morning. Huh, that's cool. But that's for, the, for the jiu-jitsu protocol, mm. go on the way there. Get done with the training. Hydrate, gonna need it. Yeah. Awfully sweaty. Get home, mulk. Yeah. By the way, might be having dinner in like an hour, but I'm still having a mulk. Agree. Because I need it. I'm going catabolic. <laughs> 2% agree with that. Uh, you, heard, you heard Jason talk about joint warfare. It's you're putting strain on your joints. You're gonna need that joint warfare. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. Check it out. Check out jockofuel.com. Also, you can get the stuff at Vitamin Shop. You can get it at Wawa. You can get it at GNC, Military Commissaries, Commissaries, Hafees, Hannaford, Dash Stores in Maryland, Wakefern, ShopRite, HEB down in Tejas. Leif posted up like a full, full like uh, entire scenario yeah. of Jocko Fuel at HEB. Yeah. So appreciate that. Everyone down there in Teos getting after Meyer up in the Midwest, same thing. Harris Teeter, Lifetime Fitness Shields. And and look, you've got a little gym. Like like what Jason has, he's got gyms. And guess what they sell at his gyms? Jocko Fuel. Why? He wants his people to be stronger, faster, smarter, and better. So if you want to do that at your gym, your CrossFit gym, your Jiu-Jitsu gym, your powerlifting gym, your Olympic lifting training facility, your gymnastics gym, whatever. Your Globo gym. Maybe you got a Globo Metroplex gym. Yeah. You still need some of that Jocko Fuel. Email jfsales at jockofuel.com. You can sell the goodness to your people. So there you go. Yeah, it's true. Also, Origin USA. We're doing the jujitsu. You need a gi. You're doing the gi and no gi. Mm-hmm. So when you put on the gi, best make sure it's a Origin mm-hmm. gi. Trust me. Mm-hmm. Once you go Origin, you don't go back yeah. to these other sweatshop abrasive straight jacket geese yeah in fact bruv, part of the freaking half of jujitsu is making your gi not feel like a straight jacket that's half of what jujitsu is part of the gym. Bruh, so don't just out the gate purchase a straight jacket gi get the origin gi that's yeah, the luxury gi right we're there. not doing that no you all made in america by the way all made in america by the way so origin usa you can get by the way you can't wear your gi to the grocery store i mean you can technically you can you can't wear it to the club you know, you can't wear even really, honestly, you really shouldn't be wearing it to a restaurant on a date with your wife. Now, look, it might look good. Yes. And your wife might be kind of down for the cause if you post up in your gi. Sometimes, For yes. date night. <laughs> sure. But there's also a decent chance that would just annoy her. 
and make her think that you're weird. So that's why we have jeans. Yeah. You can get origin jeans, you can get origin boots, training gear, right? The RTX gear for training. Got everything, everything that you're gonna need for that one. Which is, by the way, 100% accuracy that origin jeans are my date night standard uniform. Mm-hmm. 100% accurate. I'm not saying like sometimes. Mm, no. It's the standard uniform, yeah. origin jeans. And sh- and what does your wife Mass- assess them? Massively approved. Approved? Yes. Kind of a big way. Very much so. Right. One, uh, one time I wore jeans to... I think it was to recording. Mm-hmm. And so I was leaving my standard recording oh. uniform is shorts, yeah. by the way. I was wearing jeans. I don't know why. She thought you were. My kids thought I was like going, going somewhere. Yeah, for you know? sure. That's like, the same oh, way with my house. Yeah, when you they know. see me put on jeans. They're like, oh, you know. going big time. <laughs> yep. uh, by the sure. way, everything that we're talking about, you look, you can make clothes, right? If you, let's say you want to be like a t-shirt, you want to make t-shirt sales or you want to sell your shorts or whatever, you can do that. And you make them in China and you're supporting sweatshops. We make everything in America. We grow the material in America. We weave the material in America. It's 100% American made. This is how we maintain national security in this country. This is how we maintain economic security because we have forgotten how to manufacture and we're bringing it back. So originusa.com, get yourself some American made goodness. There you go. It's true. Also, Jocko's store. Call Jocko's store. Discipline equals freedom. Look, DEF. When when we say DEF reset, you know what DEF stands for? D-E-F? Mm-hmm. Discipline equals freedom. Yeah. It's true. Discipline does equal freedom. I had to have a discipline equals freedom talk with one of my sons recently. Uh-huh. Long story. We I'm good? not going to go into we it. We're, it we're good. We're good to go. Uh, hopefully, it was assimilated. But nonetheless... You want to represent while we're on this path that Jason was talking about that we're talking about. You want to mm-hmm. represent discipline equals freedom. That's where you can get your shirts. So and there you go. Hats. hats, the whole deal. Also, subscription. If you want a new shirt every month, discipline equals freedom still, just in a different flavor from time to time. Mm-hmm. Every month, new shirt, new design. Maybe you get tired of that chocolate uh, and vanilla and you want to get some mint chocolate chip. Sure. That's what, this, that's what the shirt locker is and for t-shirts. Sure. It's actually more than that. You got Now you're going to get the mint chocolate chip. Then you're going to get the other one. Then the next one. The new one. The other one. The cotton just, candy. Just ma- cotton candy. Whatever you, know, whatever you need. Cotton candy. Oh, yeah. So it's like a gift, like a Christmas gift every single month. Yeah. People seem to like it. Anyway, it's called the shirt locker, if you don't know. New design every month. Subscription Does scenario. Amazon ever deliver anything to your house? Does Amazon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, from time to time, for sure. Whenever Amazon shows up at the house, yeah. I always ask my wife, oh, you got me a present. Yeah. And it'll be like cleaning, whatever. Yeah, some like, duct tape or yeah, gaff tape. Or yeah, like d- uh, dishwashing liquid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean, actually. And so I'm always like, oh, you give me a present? And mm-hmm. she says, yeah. And I open it up and it's like deter- laundry detergent. Yeah, she's looking at you like, hey, yep. Merry Christmas. Getting nothing. But if you're on that shirt locker, when the package shows up, yep. kind of a big deal. You see the little X flag on it right there. Uh, like, oh, that's when you know. That's when you know. <laughs> oh, so it's check true. it out. Sherlocker. That's on Jocko Store. JockoStore.com. That's where you can get Check. Subscribe to the podcast. Oh, don't forget about if you need to eat food. Look, we're, we're drinking milk, but we still want to have a steak. Go to PrimalBeef.com or go to ColoradoCraftBeef.com. Just the best steak delivered to your house. By the way, it's also like burgers. You ever had a really good burger? Yes, I Let's have. face it. Burgers is a, I mean, when you, I bet if you assess death row meals, mm. a good percentage of them are bur- hamburgers. Yeah. 
Am I wrong? I don't think you're wrong. No, I think you're correct. And I, I'm going to tell you right now, if if you if you're on death row right now and you're listening mm-hmm. and you want to have a death row burger mm-hmm. for your last meal, go to ColoradoCraftBeef.com or go to PrimalBeef.com and order yourself some ground meat Bro, and yeah. make it with that. 100. You are actually correct, even in practice. So not last night, the night before, mm-hmm. all the Primal beef, all of them, mm-hmm. the burgers that I had. Yep. I took, or sorry, I took them out. They were getting thought out. Like, hey, I'm gonna, you know, make as many burgers as you need to for you know whatever kids, and then I'm gonna make the rest for uh, chili. So I'm like, cool, bro. I just I took all of them after they were thought. I, I uh, when, you know, when you take the paper off of them. Yep. You know, I took them all. I just bound them all together, mashed them up all together into this one big, huge burger ball. Put some seasoning in there. Then I made a bunch of like thicker bur- mm-hmm. burgers. Mm-hmm. Zero burgers for the chi- or <laughs> zero amount of uh, ground yeah. beef for the chili. It was all burgers, death row burgers. Now that you mention it, death row burgers. Oh yeah, we got it going on. You stack the double thick one, bro, mm-hmm. all day. What's the seasoning scenario? Oh, it was. I don't know the name of it. Okay. it was we'll get back to you with the death row burgers. Yeah, so there's two methods of seasoning. I don't want to go too deep into it. I'll go kind of deep in it, into it. There's one seasoning that my younger brother, Yata, mm-hmm. turned me on to. I forget what it's called. I'll, I'll show it to you later. Um, I forget what it's called, but you just put that on it. That's it. Mm-hmm. All required. The second one is the seasoning from Costco. They don't sell it. You can't buy it anywhere unless you sometimes can find it on eBay, but it's from Costco. I don't know what it's and called it's out either. Of business now? No, it's like, I think it's like their seasoning that, that, that they use. Like if you go to Costco in the, de- in the place oh, where you get the steaks, it's for steak. You can say, hey, can I get a little container of that seasoning? And then they'll give you some. And then, <laughs> but that's the secret one. Whoo, put a little bit of that on it. Oh, man. All right, well, make yourself some death row burgers. Uh, primalbeef.com, coloradocraftbeef.com. Great companies doing the right things for the right reasons. Also, subscribe to the podcast. Also, jockounderground.com. We got that little other podcast that we do. Adjacent materials, Q&A all the time. Costs $8.18 a month unless you can't afford that. And if you can't, no big deal. Email assistance at jockounderground.com because we own that platform and no one's going to kick us off. Uh, YouTube, we're on there, subscribe to that. We also got Psychological Warfare. We got FlipSideCanvas.com, Dakota Meyer, making you cool stuff to hang on your wall. Bunch of books, obviously, as many reps as possible by Jason Kalipa. The audio book is available for sure. So check that out. Uh, Also, I've written a bunch of books, you know, Leadership Strategy and Tactics Field Manual. There's a new edition of that. I'm getting feedback. People are really finding that to be pragmatic and helpful in their world. Final Spin, little novel. Stay clean. Written a bunch of other books. You guys know the deal. Kids books. Get your get the kid books for the kids that you know. Do that. Get the kids books for the kids that you know. That's my recommendations. Way of the Warrior Kid 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Get Mikey and the Dragons. And then, of course, About Face by Hackworth, which I wrote the forward for the new version, Extreme Ownership, Dichotomy, and Leadership. They're all there. Also, Echelon Front, we have a leadership consultancy. We solve problems through leadership. Go to echelonfront.com for details. We just had a sold-out show down in Dallas. We're gonna have another sold-out show in San Diego next. So if you wanna come to one of our events or you wanna do a field training exercise, which Jason talked about today, go to echelonfront.com for details. We also have an online training academy you can't, you, leadership isn't an inoculation. You get one shot, now you're good to go. You need to train just like going to the gym. You don't go to the gym once. You go to the gym all the time. So if you have questions about that 
or you have questions about leadership, we have questions about life, or you want to take courses about leadership, go to extremeownership.com, get enrolled. If you want to help service members active and retire, you want to help their their families, you want to help Gold Star families, check out Mark Lee's mom, Mama Lee. She's got a incredible charity organization to help out all these people that have served. If you want to donate or you want to get involved, go to americasmightywarriors.org. Also, heroesandhorses.org. Micah Fink has taken our veterans up into the wilderness where they can get lost up there so they can find themselves. Also, Jimmy May's organization, beyondthebrotherhood.org. So check that out. If you want to connect with us, well, Jason, he's at th.fit. He's also uh, at on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube. He's at Jason Kalipa. That's K-H-A-L-I-P-A. And echoes at Echo Charles. And I'm at Jocko Willink. And just be careful, because there's an algorithm that literally wants to steal your life from you. Steal your life, steal your time. It wants to take it away from you and have you scrolling through a freaking screen looking at dumb shit for 38 minutes. You can you can write a book. You can do a workout. You can do jujitsu. You can go surfing in 38 minutes. Or you can freaking look at a bunch of dumb shit on a little screen that's breaking your brain. So just watch out for the algorithm. Um, it's a monster. And thanks to all of our military out there right now. The world's a freaking tinderbox right now. And it can explode at any moment. And all of you in our military are out there standing the watch. We appreciate and thank you for your service. And also thanks to our police and law enforcement, firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, dispatchers, correctional officers, border patrol, secret service, all first responders. You're in the same scenario right now here at home. Thank you for protecting us on the home front. And to everyone else out there, the clock is ticking. Time is limited. You don't get a reset. You don't get another chance. Be nice. You could live this life and then just get another chance to do it again, but you don't get it. It is what it is. So what are you going to do with it? How many reps are you going to get? I recommend you know your why. You focus on what you can control. You work hard, shift gears, reevaluate, and I recommend you get as many reps as possible. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko out.